Port of Notions is brought to you by FaceFace Games, Canada's number one source for magic singles and products. Check us out at FaceFaceGames.com where you can pre-order everything Return to Ravnica. Glow in the dark toilet paper. You should not use that. <laughs> FYI, don't use that. Gigantic That's the next thing to your Wikipedia page. Mike Flores uses glow in the dark toilet paper. Are you a big fan of rashes? <laughs> unmentionable, unmentionable. Yeah, it sounds pretty horrid. Might not want to be rubbing extra chemicals down there. Oh well, just in case you you are okay with chemicals, they also have glow in the dark underwear. Good evening and welcome to episode 51 of Horde of Notions. I'm your host, Chris. With me tonight, we have the full complement of regular hosts. First of all, the Wyoming whirlwind, uh, Dina. Hello, everybody. The man, the myth, the legend, three-legged Will. Howdy. The man who is incredibly disappointed that there are no squirrels on Ravnica, Travis. I will have my day yet. And we know there's no squirrels on Ravnica. <laughs> the man who needs no introduction. I mean, like, oh, by the way, there are no, you know, there's like some plans that, oh, there's no elves on this plane, or like, you know, the last, oh, this is the last troll, and then the best creature in this new set is a troll, you know, like, sure it was the last troll. And there, by the way, there are not a single squirrel on the entire plane of Ravnica. I'm going to find the anti-squirrel person at R&D and introduce them to a lead pipe. So, for those of you who... violent. I... I <laughs> yeah, it's just a game, but, dude. <laughs> those who don't recognize that voice, he really doesn't need an introduction, but he's going to get one anyway. He is the sensei, the greatest m- magic article writer on the planet, and newly appointed self-help guru, Michael J. Flores. Hello, Court of Notions. We figured since we were returning to Ravnica, and Groklar is clearly a member of the Gruul clan, we had to bring you back on. You think? I don't think that the gruel would let Groklar in. The guy's gruel attack. <laughs> I don't know. He's probably a bit too sophisticated for him. I mean, he's attaching stones to sticks. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> he had scotch tape, man. I'm telling you, that's high tech stuff. He borrowed it from the Izzet Guild. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the honesty some... of the Demir, the technological <laughs> tape advantage of the Izzet, the mentality <laughs> of the gruel. This is basically like a four-color non-white monstrosity. Groklar. <laughs> <laughs> and so it begins. So, Mike, you've been pretty busy the past uh, couple of years, and your, your labors have uh, borne fruit. I'm sure you'd be more than happy to tell us all about the official Miser's Guide. I would. Have you got some specific questions, or you just want me to rant uncontrollably for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think there'll be plenty of that later on. So basically, it's a 30-day course that bas- not only helps people with magic, but improves the way they live their life. Would that be an accurate description? I would like to believe this is true, yes. Because I know the first time you were on, you drew some incredible parallels between time management and resource management in magic, and I'd like to think that, that the, the OMG sort of extends those principles. Who Who would you recommend this to? Uh, everyone with $37. You got $37? The OMG is right for you. Oh, only $36.99. Oh, damn it. No, I'm sorry. That if you, I mean, probably there's a beggar you can walk by and ask him for the last penny. 
you'd be like, dude, I know, I know times seem tough for you, but I got no official miser's guide. <laughs> Brother, could you spare a penny? You could maybe, <laughs> you could maybe go to a, the local gas station, and you know how, like, by the register, they got, like, a, a pick a penny, leave a penny? You don't leave the penny, you pick the last penny. There you go. No, in, in all seriousness. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so what, what prompted 37 as the price, as opposed to, you know, it's 30 days, $30, or, you know, an even number or something that ended in 999 How How did 37 become the price? Is there a significance to that number? To what I wanted to charge. <laughs> Good <Fair> enough. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the answer to it. I actually... Uh, Evan and I nearly came to blows over it, um, and uh, I, I w- it, it would be a boring story to you. And we didn't really <laughs> almost come to blows. It's actually so who would win in a fight between you and Evan? Who would win in a fight between me and Evan? Um, I think I would. Uh, Evan, he's very jolly, uh, and you know he's a. I mean, I guess we're we're in a, we're in a sense both family men. Uh, but between the two of us, I think that I'm I'm the much more relentless murderer at heart. <laughs> and I think of myself, I look in the mirror and I say, that's not somebody I'd want to mess with in a dark alley. <laughs> now, one of the first things that people are going to see, I, I mean, anybody who wants to be a serious tournament player has probably already bought it. I, I imagine the tough sell is going to be people who are sort of semi-casual. Why are they going to spend $37 on this? So, I would, I would uh, approach this in a couple of different ways. Sadly, I don't think every tournament player has bought it yet. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, if they do, I'll be very happy. And Pete will also be very happy, I would trust. Um, <laughs> but I actually think that it appeals uh, maybe not even primarily to to hardcore tournament players. Part of the thing that I think is very attractive about it is that it, break this, it breaks down the complicated ideas in magic into into palatable chunks. And... My good friend Joey Pasco, especially early on when I was when I was working on this, I, I passed him all the chapters, and that was one of the main things that that he gave me as a piece of feedback, which was that you know Patrick's book's great, and I'm, I I agree Patrick Patrick's book is great, but the chunks that I have and the format that I decided to go with, which was um, kind of a recurring day after day audio course, makes manageable ideas that oftentimes are thrust upon players and complicated combinations and, uh, you know, all at once. Like, if you try to read, like, a really good Zvi Moshkowitz article, there are hundreds, probably, of presuppositions that, that Zvi makes uh, that, that his readers uh, have some concept of, and they're not necessarily all true. And um, that's one thing. The other thing is that I, you guys would probably agree with this if I said that, that many, let's say, self-identifying serious tournament players are probably in many ways already set in their ways about certain things, right? Like they, they decided that the universe has a certain shape or at least that they understand things through a particular lens. And the official misers guide challenges a lot of the things that players or human beings believe about their games and their lives. And I think if you're a little bit less set in your ways, you might be more receptive to some of those things. Uh, with that said, you know, obviously things like how to evaluate your mulligan decisions, which is, uh, chapter I, I poured very very uh, you know, tremendous amount of energy in, or you know kind of like the technique and the science of perfect sideboarding. You know these are these are the sort of things that would would appeal more to to a tournament player. But I, I think that you might not be uh, might be not be so right that 
that it's really the only the tournament players that that are going to have the uh, the most utility out of this. Well, no, I mean, I think it's going to be good for everyone, and it's definitely on my shopping list once I have spent money on Return to Ravnica. But I think the 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 harder sell is going to be to people who aren't as serious about their game because the the link between magic and and real life is not immediately obvious to a, people who don't spend as long thinking about the game as you definitely do and as I'm starting to do. That's fascinating to me, Chris. You know, um, I don't know at what time in my life I came to the realization and the understanding, you know, that magic and life are they're the same thing. Like they're they're so inextricably linked, and I looked at at the some of the people who I spent the most time with, and who I admire the most in their personal lives and in their professional lives, and I could see how they had taken the skills that they had learned. I'm going to use the term "growing up" loosely. You know, yeah. many of us were more or less fully formed individuals when we started playing Magic, but took the skills they learned playing Magic, and then were able to transfer those skills into real and tangible success in so many disparate and impressive situations and in, in you know professional careers and doing interesting things with their lives like if you look at someone from a John Finkel uh, you know who came up through blackjack or Dave Williams who's a, a great poker champion to all these guys who, who you know uh, on the East Coast uh, in in big trading firms all of them would would give credit to the decision-making abilities they learned in Magic, the quant, the quant skills they learned in Magic. You know, some guys who, who set the lines at casinos, you know, they're like, this is just Magic, but easier. You know, like, the rules are simpler, your opponents are less smart, and the and returns are so much bigger. And I looked at that, and I, I looked at the things in my own life. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I could just never give back to Magic, you know, people talk to me all the time, oh, you've contributed so much in your writing, and, you know, you I want a PTQ because I read an article that you wrote, or yeah, it's probably not true. You know, you want a PTQ for a number of different reasons, and thanks for the credit, but you probably deserve more than I do. But magic, in in a very tangible sense, took me out of the life that that someone else would have put me on, and stuck me in New York in the summer of 1999. And everything awesome that's happened to me, or I've made happen to me, kind of falls from a, a decision that I made, uh, in, you know, at the end of the last century that was inextricably linked to magic. You know, I came up to, to New York to to be like an intern slash the editor-in-chief of the dojo, and I just kind of never left. You know, I was in law school, and as far as I know, they're still holding my scholarship. But, you know, there, there was, you know, there was a life that someone else would have chosen for me on the other side of that, and I chose the life that magic, that magic unveiled for me. And I, I, I don't know that I could have ever made any better decision. You know, my... I would have never met my wife if I weren't living here. You know, I I would have never had the kids that I have if I weren't living here. The people who are my closest friends, I'm surrounded by them. You know, what's amazing is that I didn't grow up in New York, and yet many of my friends who I who I was around in in other cities came here. You know, you know, I'm not going to say that I magnetized them here, but you know, a lot of a lot of those people who are important to me surround me still, even though they're not from New York. And I'm not from New York either. Um, and you know, there's a there's this great pattern that that I've been able to to draw against, and it was laid out laid out for me in, in large part from you know this children's card game that I chose to start playing 
the summer of 1994 while going to a Dungeons and Dragons tournament. Yeah, it's amazing how these things come into your life like that. So the the OMG, how much of it is tinged with personal experiences? I mean, anyone who's heard you on a podcast before knows that you have the greatest and most relevant stories. But is it more of a self-discovery thing aimed at the listener, or is it a lot of this is how I did it and you can too? Um, I think it would be – so I've revised how I think of everything uh, in the last couple of years. And uh, I would actually say that maybe my best personal quality is the ability to jettison things that I used to believe strongly in in favor of of other things based on better information. Um, So now I just look at everything as a potential tool, uh, if that makes any sense. So I try not to have any uh, hard and fast thing that I believe in that that is immutable for me, because I find that to be very restrictive. And I would say that there's all this stack of different qualities, and these are all just tools that we can have. And some of the tools are the stories that I tell about my own life or the accomplishments I've had in my own life or how I approach deck building or what I've discovered. Other tools are, um, you know, things that, you know, my friends, you know, John, for example, or Patrick, have taught me, and, and you know, I, I can in turn teach to others. And then other things are math, you know, the... Many players don't approach magic in the, you know, via the lens that they probably should, which is that magic is a game that was designed by a math PhD. You know, never forget this, that this is a game of probabilities and it, it rides a, a series of rules that makes a lot more sense in the real world in a lot of ways. Um, was it a, a journey of self-discovery? Yes, like, tremendously so for me. I mean, it, to undertake a project like this, I think that, uh, it would be difficult for it to not be a journey of self-discovery. But at the same time, all of the different things that, that make it up are you know, tools from all different places. And I feel like uh, it's up to the, the listener or the reader to decide which, one of, which, which of those they want, to, uh, they want to let touch them or they want to buy into or they want to take advantage of. For sure. So, I mean, I can't help but think this is something that everybody who has room for improvement in their magic game, in their life, or both, should be looking to pick up. Uh, $37 is less than the price of a cup of coffee for a, a day, for, for a whole month, especially if you live in New York City, I'm sure. <laughs> we have a, we have a place, so the, the place that Brian David Marsh and I usually podcast at, they have a $6 cup of, uh, of drip coffee. I think they actually also have an $8 cup of drip coffee, which, uh, it's a pretty good cup of coffee, but I don't think that it's like, six or eight dollars good yeah it's not jamaican blue mountain by any chance is it no oh dude you have to try that stuff i I think i've had that before uh i mean for for my money the best coffee is in is from uh kona hawaii and yes well yeah that and blue mountain are considered one and one a by most people um but no the the uh the place that we usually go they have a lot of um south american coffees primarily um and, you know, they, they source uh, single-origin stuff. Costa Rican Terrazzo is probably my favorite South American one. I did not realize you were such a coffee connoisseur. <laughs> I am, actually. <laughs> Which, there's there's uh, nothing to do in Newfoundland. They have a lot of elite cafes up in Newfoundland. <laughs> uh, there's a grand total of three. <laughs> See, the most extravagant coffee I've ever drank is Starbucks. 
And the other thing is that, you know, you're from England, which is really a tea country, right? <laughs> it is. And I, I do drink tea as well, but I'm much less of a tea connoisseur. I miss Strange, coffee really. so much. I, I had to stop with the caffeine because I was just getting a lot of migraines. And so my doctor said, hey, don't drink, you know, 60 ounces worth of coffee every day and maybe that'll help you. So uh, I kind of stopped with the coffee. But there's a company called Raven's Blend. It's organic coffee from Alaska. Really, really used to like that, uh, their stuff. Alaska? I wouldn't think they had the climate to grow it. I don't think it was grown there. I think the brew, the um, the company was there that made it. I, oh. I'm sure they imported the beans from other places. So that's it for episode 17 of Coffee Cast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you stop, when did you stop uh, drinking coffee? About four years ago. Three and a half. Let's see. Three, three years and ago. Half years ago? Three years ago. Actually, three years because it was on Rosh Hashanah was the last. It was when I finally quit, and Rosh Hashanah just ended as the sun is setting tonight. So, um, so yeah, I, yeah. Uh, how have your migraines been? They all go away. Uh, you know, I've gotten instead of like twice a week, now I get like two a year. So yeah, it worked pretty well. So I, I don't have caffeine of any sort. I don't even have you know like chocolate or. You know, decaffeinated oh. tea has a little bit of caffeine in it, so you know, I, I, I won't I even don't. drink that. No, couldn't do it. How did that do for the rest? I mean, seriously, how did that do for the rest of your body? Did you have like, you know, phenomenal transformation in other aspects of your life? I don't think so. I just, I still feel like I'm swimming underwater. Like I miss that buzz. I really do. It's, it's really just, hard because I'm really addicted. Yeah, I don't think of myself as addicted to coffee, honestly. Yeah. My wife is laughing in the background. <laughs> I really don't. Um, for me, like I, it's, it's just a baseline thing that I need to get through the day. That's not addicted, is it? No, I can quit any time I want. I just don't want. I, I quit for well, a year. For, I mean, well, for so, me, yeah, and I used to do that. I would, you know, quit for a little while and then go back to it. But, I mean, at the point when I finally quit, if I went more than eight hours without putting caffeine into my body – I would get a migraine that would last for like three days. So, you know, my, my body was so attuned to the caffeine that if, if it didn't get it, you know, you know, if I, if I had a crack, you know, drank a lot of caffeine and then crashed and slept for 10 hours, I'd wake up with a migraine. Uh, that, that sounds terrible. I'm glad you found something that. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of, it's, it's actually good that, that I quit because I was, I was a fiend. I was really, really bad. I was, you know, coffee was my crack. So yeah, totally random, crack well, crack seemingly random, but actually related question. Mike, chances of you being at GP Toronto in December? Uh, there, what, what weekend is that? December 8th. Uh, I would say next to nil, because I'm pretty sure I'm doing a Star City event that weekend. This causes me distress, because I'm going to be there, and it's about as close as I'm going to get to New York. <laughs> well, now that KYT announced that at GP Toronto on day two, you're going to have the Madden Deprived Open series, don't you have to show up? Are you legally binded to come and support them? Okay, first of all, let's uh, let's get something clear for a second. Which one of us is the sensei and which one of us is the other <laughs> side? I mean, look, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you understand the way the obligations roll. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to convince Glenn Jones and Evan Owen to put me on a Star City team. I think I could do it. They, they let uh, the Gimme do one, right, for two? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've got the, uh, the the play-by-play stuff down with someone like yourself or, or, or Patrick Chapin in there to uh, to handle this tr- strategy side. You, ju- you just have that face made for radio. 
I was <laughs> I was discussing doing with Patrick uh, with Evan um, a few months ago, and he didn't think we would be the best team. I don't know. I I don't know how much of the match would get called and how much of it would just be you guys trading inside stories. That's the only concern <laughs> I would have. Yeah, is that really how we come off? I mean, like I don't I don't think that that like uh you know when we did UMTG Taps together, like that's consensus the best episode of Taps, right? Everyone's like that's the best one. Everyone like lightsabers, like you two chatting. <laughs> that's what it was. I mean, it's not a bad thing. But for a podcast, it works better than a, a than a coverage gig. I think. see. I, I don't. I don't agree because like some of the best SCG ones that I watch are ones where they're not actually doing coverage. They're just doing random stuff. Like I think it was two weeks ago when you had a uh, Brad Nelson and uh, Jacob Van Lunen on, where That's like hilarious. there was there was no coverage being done. They were not talking about cards. They mentioned like legacy- good. Like I mean, no. No, I'm not I'm not criticizing either JVO or Brad who are my friends. It's a, I'm just saying like. People tune in because they want to hear about the about the well, match, right? Like, so you're balance. watching the match. I mean, yeah, exactly. There's a balance because you're watching the match, and so you can see what's going on. And during that, you know, they have to tell you what you can't see as a spectator because sometimes, you know, the cards you can't really see them in the picture and everything. So, so to that extent, yeah, they're kind of calling the match, but then there's so much other time, you know, and in between matches, yeah, they're going to talk about the decks, but then there's a lot of kind of filler. And sometimes it seems on the coverage that it's a little forced, and they're like, well, we'll just talk about this deck, even though everybody already knows what it does, and it's just kind of repetitive. Whereas, I don't, I don't you know, when they were on, they had all does. these stories. No. I really don't I, think everybody knows what it does. Like, yeah, haven't you watched yeah. coverage? There's some of the coverage guys that don't know what it does. <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, like, I've been doing this kind of stuff for a long time, and one of the things that I found to be most valuable, especially writing a, a column like Swimming with Sharks, or it's now called Top Decks, is to constantly reiterate what the decks do. And I, that ended up being, like, a really good formula for a column that comes, like, it's basically the most popular column in Magic. And it's, uh, uh, it, it says, like, this is a Delver deck. This is what the Delver deck does. You know, these are changes from what you might have thought the Delver deck did from last week, etc. And you know, every single week, you know, I get emails and comments, and they're like, "Oh, thanks for explaining this to me." And the, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you wouldn't get those if everyone really knew what everything did. And the other thing is, I think it's okay for even relatively experienced tournament players to not know what everything does. Look, I don't know what everything does, uh, and. I think that, you know, people might be afraid to be like, oh, well, you know, I, I don't really know why Talrand is played here instead of Restoration Angel, you know. Can you explain that to me? And, you know, I, you see where I'm going with this? Like, I don't think, a lot, I don't think everything's obvious. And I think you, you can follow the coverage and turn reports every week, and you still don't know everything. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I, see, I see decks all the time that, some people in my same circle don't think of it as being incredibly obvious decks, or they they know about it. They've been playing on Moto, and it's fresh to me the first time. I, the first time I've seen it, you know. Um, yeah, you know, like I remember JVL was talking about like that Naya Tokens deck. Um, I think I want to say Yelder was the first one to break out with it in a, in a Grand Prix, and you got that deck was new at some point, right? Like, at the end of this, I mean, now I guess it's the same format. Everyone, oh yeah, the Nia deck, and it's got Blade Splicer and Restoration Angel, and the only spells Bonfire the name. Yeah, everyone's seen it now, but you know they hadn't all seen it three months ago. 
Yeah, I think this, the balance has got to be there between calling every single card as it's played, which is nauseatingly boring, and completely ignoring the match. Well, you you need, like, the John Madden Al Michaels team, right? Like, Al Michaels is, like, no jokes, just, like, boring, droning on, and then John Madden just randomly yells out stuff. Yeah, I don't know so, about football. <laughs> no, I'm not going <laughs> to tell you. But, I, so this is what I know about football. Finish. Almost every single job makes more money than the average professional football player, <laughs> and 100% of them die crippled. That's what I know about football. <laughs> so if you, you want to have a job where every single person makes more money than you, you <laughs> leave three years in with no skills and degenerating body that takes 40 years to break down completely while you die in horrible pain. That's what I know about football. But you, I think you need the the balance, and like you mentioned it, right? Like you don't need the guy who's like every single card and going through every single thing, but just kind of to reiterate, and especially in Legacy, right? So you know, be like, this is a reanimator deck. The goal is to get in tomb, put a fatty in the yard, and then reanimate it, just to like kind of. I mean, I know for people that are like, well, I know what this is. It sounds repetitive, but for people that don't, it, it's much more helpful. And then they'll listen to them, whereas the people who are like, well, obviously I know what this is, they'll say be more in tune to, you know, listen to the guy who's, say, telling the funnier stories or who's there more for, like, say, the entertainment value. Well, this, one of my ideas I was going to give when, uh, the next time we had Brad on, since he's been talking all about coverage, is getting some of these people who have such ideas for the coverage and let them do independent coverage via uh, Twitch TV. I mean, we could all watch the the coverage that Wizard puts out and listen to whoever we want, talk about the game however they want. It would be a great way for us to make our own coverage team, so to speak. What's your dream coverage team, you guys? Who, who do you want to have in the booth? OSIP. <laughs> Isn't that, like, never going to happen again on the Wizard side? Exactly. I, I was with OSIP in his last in his last broadcast. I mean, OSIP jokes, you know, we're really good friends. And he's like, they basically fired me for Mike. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we did Columbus. So basically what happened was, I knew Kibler was not going to be able to do the coverage uh, because um, it, this is going to be embarrassing for, for Kibler probably. He had like a LARP event. <laughs> he, had <to> go, <laughs> he had to go be like a tiger in like, Ohio. <laughs> so I knew Kibler was going to go. I'm not kidding. He had to go be a tiger for the weekend. <laughs> so that's where the hats came from. <laughs> he used to be, I mean, I don't know. You, you asked me, I'm proud of this. You know, so he could go be a tiger for the weekend. So I called up Randy. So I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm going to be filling for Kibler. And he's like, that's not a bad idea. So um, I came in, played the LCQ. I missed uh, qualifying by one match, whatever. So And then I, I never did coverage, actually, for Watsi before. Then. Obviously, I'd made a career of doing coverage at the, the dojo and so forth years earlier. Uh, and I didn't, you know, I, I hate writing feature matches, and I don't like, uh, I don't like very much about it. <laughs> so actually, what I did was I just entered deck lists uh, for the next two days, which somebody has to do. You know, nobody wants that job. But then I didn't have to do future matches, which I don't like. Uh, and I, in fact, I don't think I'm particularly good at writing future matches. Um, if you go back and read any of my future match coverage; they're not very detailed. And I'm like, and then this thing happened, and somebody won. Uh, so I did that, and then. Um, I did the booth on Sunday, so they weren't sure how it was going to turn out, so uh, they had me, Osip, and Randy do it together for a while, and then uh, just Osip and Randy did the final, and then they called me, like, I think we think you did a really good job, and, you know, I was in the booth for the next year or so. 
Uh, you were in the booth for the Top Deck Lightning Helix. Right? Was and that's uh, among the worst called matches in, in my history. Uh, yeah, R- Randy almost shattered glass. Did, I think I was like obsessed with the fact that that should just never have happened. Like Ollie played the early turns very very fast and like just like threw away a card, didn't get damage in, took extra damage from his land. Like there's a stack <laughs> of things he could have done better, you know. And I'm like, I remember like the second turn, like why did he make this play? This play and like and then um. Yeah, so, yeah, $16,000 Lightning Notes. I did call that match. Uh, that was the last pro tour that I did uh, for Watson. It was actually the greatest vacation in my life. Um, my whole family, we went out to uh, to Honolulu for the week um, on account of that pro tour. So you were asking about uh, a dream commentary teams. I would actually love to hear you and BDM call a, a, yeah. a match. So uh, we've been talking about that. Uh, I think I think probably Brian and I will do a Grand Prix together in the next year or two. I would guess the uh, you know a- after that one, I I was kind of in a spot where I I kind of really wanted to be a Pro Tour player, you know, and so I wasn't I wasn't being very consistent, and I wasn't doing any of the foreign Pro Tours. And you know, Brian had he did that great uh, Pro Tour top eight in the, the PTI missed that year um, between Terry So and Frank Karsten uh, with the bluff double bluff, and you know. I just, you know, Brian was going to every pro tour and he was doing such a good job. So I sold Osip's job, gladly handed the job over to Brian. Uh, there was no stealing involved, but yeah. So you know, he and I have been kicking it around. I, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think I might do a Grand Prix, and I think you know, I think me and him would would be good. Although, which one of us is supposed to do the supposed to do the work? Right? We're we're both the color guy, aren't we? That that would be the drawback. That's why I think you and Joey Pasco work so well because he is definitely the play by play guy. Yeah. Me and Joey's a good team. Joey is a he is a rock of coverage. I uh, yeah. I would love to work with him, but then who would do the strategy? I mean, he knows his stuff, but he doesn't have the insight that the former pros have. Yeah, I mean, it depends what you we care about in coverage. I think. Uh, I think people want to be entertained more than anything else. That's that's kind of the angle that I think. Agreed. Completely agreed. Yeah, I think if we're talking about a dream team, you know, my dream would to be actually doing the coverage as opposed to watching the coverage. So my dream team would, of course, include myself. Um, but if if we're not really talking about that, <laughs> you can have a whole of those coverage team. the dream? You ask for the dream. That's the dream. How is that not possible? First of all. I don't see why that's not possible. You know, a year ago, I was, you know, uh, I think, I think what happened was like, Evan was like uh, asking about who might might be might do some fill-ins because I think that they had some uh, some holes in the in the coverage. And I was like, I think you should try out this guy Marshall, and you know, Marshall's on the Watsi team now. He's a uh, he came came yeah. out of. It, what did Marshall ever do before limited resources? Right, like the uh, nothing actually. Yeah, the, the guy like if he's like a rock of the magic media now. I mean, he is, mm-hmm. he is such a stud. I mean, you know, present company excluded, and that includes myself. I think, I think Marshall's just like the best magic podcaster. The guy is oh, like, no, present company is, included. He's a, <laughs> we, we all love Marshall. We think he's fabulous. Of all the things that I would talk about in the OMG, like, that guy came in, he had a strategy. He's like, I want to get my friend into R&D, but my strategy for doing this is just to make the best product ever that everyone's always going to want and just generate a massive amount of love and value and he did it and his friend in R&D and now he's trying to do it again right like the 
<laughs> yeah, with John. I mean, he's. I I really don't. I don't know. It's probably a lie. I admire from a media perspective. I admire Patrick the most, but the but Marshall is really high up in my in my list of people who are just fantabulous at this stuff we all try to do. So, for the past year or so, I've had a podcasting bucket list, and there were five people on it for the longest time. You were the first one off it. Uh, then it was Joey Pascoe's off it. Uh, there's only two left on it now. Marshall's one of them, and BDM's the other. Oh, you you tried to get me to get my buddy uh, on, on. So I was like, so last night I was like juggling. I was just like, oh, can we do this last night? And you're like, oh, I can't. And Brian's like, I'll podcast with you. And then he broke his foot. <laughs> <laughs> so like people are like, oh yeah, there was like two top eight magic podcasts last week, and now we don't have any again. It's Mike's fault and Brian blaming my damn book on the, the no podcast. By the way, I'm writing another one. Another <laughs> book right now as we speak. I'm not actually as we speak, uh, but um, and uh, you know it, 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 I, the guy has a good point. I, my book came out all of a sudden. There were podcasts again, but yeah, so well, he, he broke his foot. He's uh, he's offered to be on twice, but uh, stuff came up that stopped him from coming on. So that, that keeps escaping me. And Marshall's just well on the west coast and always really busy. Yeah, the first time I went out to Seattle for work, you know, Marshall got me on his podcast, took me out to dinner. Guy is just so cool. Yeah, he, he's he's a really nice guy. I met him in Vancouver. Tall, actually. Uh, there's not many people taller than me, but he's right up there. I'm Chris Lansdale. I'm a giant. I'm six six for six. <laughs> when I come into play, the following things happen. <laughs> oh, I'm just not going to touch that one with a ten foot pole. Um, speaking of six sixes with ridiculously low mana cost, terrible transition. But hey. There's a, there's a new set coming out in a couple of weeks, Wait, and oh, the oh, entire oh. Magic World. Not yet. Not ready yet. You're not ready yet? Not ready. First, I'm going to tell you a story, Chris. Go for it, sir. Story time! Chris wakes up. Chris is very happy when he wakes up, because last night in FNM, he went three and one. <laughs> <laughs> and you sure I'm awake? This well, sounds like it would be a first. I'm telling a story. Respect the story, Ford. The best part about it is, Chris, what's the name of a mythical, obnoxious kid, 12-year-old kid, who thinks he's better than he should be? Uh, we don't have any Just of those. Just give me one, Chris. Owen? Uh, <laughs> Owen. Owen. <laughs> the best part. Okay, Owen Turtenwald is not a Newfoundland-based FNM. <laughs> Other Owen. <laughs> With his Delver dick. Fell in game three by a narrow margin to Chris's mono green trading post deck. <laughs> Chris has never felt such satisfaction as that game. Anyway, he wakes up, goes down, and breakfast has already been prepared for him. He's got his Jamaican blue coffee and stacks and stacks and stacks of bacon. This is going to be a good day, sir. He puts on his clothes, up to and including a black and white striped shirt. For today, Chris is going to be a judge at the Newfoundland PTQ. Oh, God. <laughs> Time passes. But I don't know if you realize the can of worms you've inadvertently opened there, but carry on. <laughs> Hours pass. This is a really good day. Chris still remembers his victory over Owen the night before. Players fall, players die. We're at the top eight. 
It constricts to the top four and then the top two. Ring, ring, ring. Chris looks down at his cell phone. And there's a text from PRS Girl. You're never going to believe what's happening at this PTQ. He goes to read the next follow-up text. And before he even finishes reading it, he types back, Oh, I believe it. As he looks down at the PTQ finals, as young Owen dispatches his opponent to earn the Newfoundland blue envelope with, yes, mono green trading post. The deck that Chris had defeated him with one night earlier. <laughs> the formerly obnoxious small child looks up to thank you, Mr. Lansdale. Thank you for your contribution as a judge, a podcaster, and yes, this blue envelope. Last night I learned not only humility, but a new and better path to victory. And yes, in faraway Wyoming, the same thing was happening as Mono Green Trading Post took another blue envelope. It would not be for another 48 hours perusing the various magic websites that Mr. Lancel realized that some combination of Mono Green Trading Post and life gain-based unplayable mid-range decks had set the entire PTQ scene afire. He was, as he walked into heaven and asked God what role he could play in this act of his life. You, sir, will play the role of Zvi. <laughs> How about that for your average day, Chris Lynch? <laughs> <laughs> and there was bacon and blowjobs. Huzzah! <laughs> 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 uh. Oh my god. <laughs> it was good enough until the bacon and then the blowjobs on I mean <laughs> if you I want to know what part the of the story. I, I don't remember hearing about that the first time through. <laughs> you wanna know what the official miser's guide gives you? It gives you the tools to achieve your perfect average day whenever you like. To sketch out what you want and then go out and search for it. Develop the strategies that will give you the results that you want. For example, Perhaps not as a tournament executor yourself, but to become, you know, a deck designer of level of influence that you have not yet achieved everywhere by speaking to your, your target audience in a way that they understand and believe and ultimately are influenced by. Or, you know, what did Gavin say? Hold on. I'm not saying this, Gavin Barry. This is embarrassing. The OMG is so popular, I can't get to the page right now. <laughs> Everyone's read what Gavin said and what Haynes said, what Andre said. Perhaps we'll ignore what John said. Uh, anywho, yeah. Now we can talk about Ravnica. How did you like that, though, Chris? Uh, that I'm pretty sure I actually didn't wake up. I think that was still a dream. Know, that's the life that you'll live. Uh, I have my doubts. 37. <laughs> Remember, Chris, if it's still there four hours from now, you need to go to the hospital. <laughs> Did you like how Owen was was transformed by your victory over him? Yeah. <laughs> I did like that. Uh, it'll never happen. <laughs> but no, that was I was definitely entertaining. As Why do you we think would it expect. will never happen. I beat Mikey P in a Grand Prix trial one year uh, with The Rock, and then he and then we worked together actually for the Grand Prix that I won the, the buys for. So I beat him for the for the three buys. Actually. I beat him in the top eight. I beat Baron Bangratov for the fives, I think. Um, 
And then, you know, he won the Grand Prix with that deck. Uh, 74-75, because we played a main deck choke. There were no blue cards in the top eight. Oops. Shrug, he won the Grand Prix. I, and I won the Pizza Q the same day. Uh, so... It was it was a good it was a good run for that deck. But my point being, he at the time the Rock was not a famous deck. Um, I only knew about it because my friend Saul Maka made it, and we didn't have enough cards for everyone to play Donate. True story. All right, let's let's just jump straight in. This set looks to be the most exciting and anticipated set since I don't even know the last Ravnica. Time Spiral, maybe people were really excited about that. People like Time Spiral a lot, yeah. Maybe because of the nostalgia thing. Um, but people are all over the place for this set, uh, with emotions running the full gamut, sometimes both at the same time. We've uh, we've each picked out a few cards to talk about, but we want to start with some of the themes that seem to be running through the set. Start with some of the minor themes. There are a lot of enchantment cards here in the set, both a, a cycle of enchant lands and some general enchantments and auras. Of course, they would do this right after Mesa Enchantress rotates, leaving us with no enchantresses in the format. Any of these uh, catch your eye? Any of these look any good? Anybody? The um, Imperial Armor one that they print, I'm always a fan of those. I mean, they're generally awful and can't actually be played since, well, actually Imperial Armor was the only one that could be played, but I'm always a fan of them. So that's Ethereal Armor, right? Uh, is that, what it, that would probably make sense. Wait, where is it? Hmm. I don't think it's in the the main list yet. No, some of these are oh, right. This is already right. Yes, that's the one. See, you like this? It costs five. Well, see, here's the thing, right? Like uh, when Jun used to be like the deck around in standard, I used to play mono white knights with uh, a one of armored ascension in the main board. Uh huh. Well, I mean, it's a it's an imperial armor and a howling mine, a personal howling mine. It costs five. It does cost. Oh, five. it's 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 an awful card. I mean, it, it, it has a sure. it ha, it has a place in uh, Chris's uh, blue white uh, life gain deck with uh, like a couple rock space mender and the whoa whoa whoa. Chris does not have Sphinx, a blue white. Sphinx's revelation. Deck. Oh, I, I know it's built and jazz hands. Jazz hands <laughs> is definitely in that deck. What's jazz hands? Drog skull reaver. I have it on good authority that you play three of those. <laughs> two is the most I've ever played in a deck. Paul. Two is the most I've ever played in a deck that can be proven. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that is fact. I have never played more than two in a deck. Uh, it it did work for me in a control build. I actually saw as a finisher. I saw that deck in action. It also had another interesting function. Uh, Chris always had three lands permanently tapped to pay for mana leak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let, let's dredge up ancient history. Um, I, I I like the card. Uh, it I uh, seven mana finishes. I mean, it does win the game, which is what you want for seven mana. I mean, cards that cost more than four mana have to win the game. That's, <laughs> that's and fine. it does. I mean, <laughs> so it, it does win the game. More than yeah, but four. you would want an Elish Norman. You can have Drog Skull Reaver. I think Drog Skull Reaver is a reasonable card. Especially if you had pristine talismans and uh, you were able to draw extra cards off that. It, it worked out pretty well. I mean, the deck wasn't terrible. I, I did pretty well with it, considering I'm not normally a control player. What kind of player are you normally? I like combo. 
but when there isn't a combo deck, I sort of struggle a bit. His, his exact playstyle has been described as Brad by Brad Nelson himself as Bland's Dirtlish. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I like I like to do interesting things. Uh, I'm very Johnny in that way. But when I'm playing in a tournament, I will play. If there's a combo deck, I will play that. Like if I do play at GP Toronto instead of Judge, I'm probably playing Eggs. What format is it? Modern. Ugh. It's certainly there's got to be something. Why would I mean you want to play combo? Why wouldn't you play uh, Epic Experiment? I'm not sure how good that card is going to be. That's actually one of the ones I wanted to talk about okay. a little later on. This card's bonkers. Well, if you like, could, yeah, it's it, modern. I think no, it's, you're playing modern, right? Like, what if you just have a seething song? If you have like a seething song, an Epic Experiment, and a Metamorphose, like how bad can it be? Like you, you go. Like, X equals four. You'll flip, flip over everything in your deck up to, including pass and flames. If you ever, well, then it does the top four cards, though, right? Yeah, but you, anything that's not a. First of all, you're only going to build your deck in such a way that it lands and things that the epic experiment can hit. So, and it casts those things for free, right? You'll cast ritual. Like, what do you flip over? Like a manamorphose and a, and a. Like, just sake of argument, you flip over a manamorphose and a pass and flames. I mean, yeah. it's on, brother. Like, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty strong. I mean, it, it's like basically mine's desire. That's the point I was saying on Twitter this week. I think it's more build around than people than Genesis Wave was. Like Genesis Wave, to, to be optimal, you had to build around it. But you could make a decent deck with just big mana dorks, with mana dorks and big dudes, and Genesis Wave. Epic Experiment doesn't let you do that. You actually have to put more thought into into the deck construction. I think that Epic Experiment's its, it's best function is going to be in a relatively big format. Not too big, right? I don't think it's probably good enough for Legacy, for example. But relatively big format, i.e. modern or extended combo with uh, good rituals and, you know, a stormish sort of setup. I mean, like, what if all you do is go, like, ritual thing, ritual thing, manamorphose, Epic Experiment, rebuys, uh... Uh, the the Goblin Maker. What's it called? Um, uh, Infinite um, Warrens. Uh, Infinite Warrens. Yeah. Isn't that like just a two-turn clock? No. I mean, like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's got to be good enough. You know? It's, uh, I think. I mean, look at look at the decks that were actually played in the Players' Championship. Which one of those can compete with that? Can Shadow's Aether Vile deck beat that? Ever? Like... <laughs> No, probably not. <laughs> Ever in a million years? I mean, that, the Delver decks can, though. Can the blue-white no-Delver Delver deck? <laughs> well, if this game goes another three turns, I'll be able to cast a Restoration Angel. <laughs> yeah, guess what? You're dead. Yeah, I mean, you don't get it's just like, well, I'm afraid my Aether Vial will have two counters on it before you've killed me. Ha, ha, ha. I, when Storm was really big in modern, I had quite a bit of success with a, a green-white hate bears deck that just basically beat all the unfair decks because it stopped them from doing anything. And then people started playing fair decks, which made my hate bears deck terrible. It's amazing how two twos for two died a lightning bolt. Well, I don't understand why you think. You, I mean, why would you want to play a hate bears deck? Like <laughs> because it's Chris it Lance Turtle. I mean, you don't win 100% of the time against the comic. <laughs> like, you still... 
<laughs> you still lose like forty percent of the time, right? Like uh, against Storm, I was sixty forty. Against Twin, I was like seventy five uh, to seventy five percent to win. But it seems like it seems like the kind of deck where like if they were just even medium prepared for, I, I presume it's a Gaddick Teague that that's a uh... Gaddick Teague, Ethosorn Canonist, uh, Fauna Shaman to find the stuff you need. You had uh, Pride, Pride Mage in there. You had Marder Proc against. Um, and these decks like Burn, for example, had Ranger of Eos if you needed it. Like Figure of Destiny had swords. I don't understand how just, a deck based on Ranger of Eos is going to be competitive with these decks, but I'll take your word for it. It like it, it didn't do well against decks like Jund, but against combo decks and decks that were trying to be unfair, it did very well because it stopped them from doing the things that made them so powerful. No, no, that's not the question I asked, Chris. I didn't, I didn't okay. ask if uh, if the deck could could potentially be effective. I said, why would you want to play it? That's the the because uh, I I've morphed into a terrible control player, and it seemed like something that was going to stop people from doing what they wanted to do, which seemed like fun to me. The the problem I always thought, so I made I made Haterator back in I don't know, 2006, 2007, and. You know, it won a PTQ the first week that that I made it, and you know, I myself, uh, I went. It was a huge PTQ. I think I went like six and three or something, and all three of my losses were to No Stick, and I just didn't know that there was such a thing as I, I didn't think people would play No Stick. Um, and uh, the the problem there was more or less that as long as I was playing against decks that I I had anticipated, I could angle them. But I just couldn't beat the freaking Isochron Scepter. You know, I just it didn't make my deck in such a way that I could beat an Isochron Scepter. And you know, in later weeks, you know, I discovered Ancient Grudge. Oh, there's this card Ancient Grudge we can play. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, then I never lost to a Gnostic player again, uh, you know, even though they had, like, Exalted Angels and so forth. But, you know, I found the problem, if you want to win a large tournament with a, with a deck like that, is if you don't have perfect anticipation of your opponent's tools, you're just not powerful. You know, I, I think, like, you know, you, 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 which means that you you have very little chance of actually winning a tournament, even if you have really good matchups with commonly played decks. Does that make any sense? Because you, yeah, you're you're does. more likely to win with a deck that is going to lose to the Hate Bears deck because it doesn't lose to the Hate Bears 100% of the time, right? You you still win 40% of the time, which is almost half, honestly. And then you actually have a much better chance of beating all these unanticipated decks. Yeah, that that's very very fair. It's not like the days of Academy where eighty percent of the room was playing it. That was fun. So, yeah, oh, you're telling me. I loved that deck. So there's also um, the gates, and I know, Mike, I was listening to the top eight magic as all sensible people do, and you you didn't seem terribly sold on the gates to start with. Although I think you were starting to swing at the end. What's your final thought on those now? I'm I'm probably gonna end up playing some gates, uh, like one or two gates. And actually, I was I was uh, laying out my my mana base. Now, all the gates hadn't been... Uh, I, I put a deck up on my blog, I think, at the end of last week or a day or two ago. And I actually think that there's probably spots where you you would rather have a Rakdos-skilled gate than a Blood Crypt in, in a deck. And I, I was actually pretty startled realizing this. But, like, um, you know, you might you might not want four Blood Crypts. You might want to have, like, three Blood Crypts and a Rakdos-skilled gate. You know, or, you know some, some parallel to that. Because, uh, you know... You can be playing um, what's it? It's called Gate Creeper Mine. Yes. Yeah, you can you can play that guy, and it's pretty good. So. Yeah, he seems to give you some flexibility. 
Uh, he seems to be the best of the ones that interact with Gates so far. I mean, the ogre Gatecrasher, not Gatecrasher, that's something else. The, the ogre dude, guy, yeah, he seems okay, but I mean, I don't know. Like for four mana in green, you get a five five with scavenge. Why would you play a four four? Um, yeah, I mean that that doesn't seem like a, a great constructed card to me. I play it in draft every day. But. Uh, what other themes do we have? The Defender theme that was very popular in Rise of Eldrazi seems to be back as well. There are a lot of creatures with Defender. And there are creatures that care about Defender. Like the one, one that they, taps for mana. Yeah, tap for mana. Um, I think there's another one that ha- that has something on it that says, you know, for each card you have to... Or each, something something yeah. that cares how many Defender creatures you have. There's one that mills, I think. Yeah, that's, creatures. that's the other one. Uh, that's obviously a blue card. Uh, I think they're all common as well. I'm just going to look this up, which means that there could be a wall deck in Pauper. Not that that's necessarily a real format. But I think it'd be cool if Pauper were a real format. I think that if there were some sort of support around Pauper, it could be very popular. But the problem is that like uh, there's not very much incentive for people who run tournaments to run like Pauperish tournament, right? There's a huge incentive for a company like Star City Games to make Legacy popular, which allows them to sell these expensive cards. You know, yeah. their core business is, of course, selling edge cards, and they do a great job of it. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. People love Legacy. It's just like, hey, what's your core business? I sell magic cards. Well, our entire tournament is populated by cards that cost 15 cents. <laughs> you know, a lot less lucrative than what Pete does. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I think it would be cool if they were popular. Just to go back to the enchantment theme for a minute, there's this one card, for example, Sphere of Safety. Uh, it's a white and four colorless. Creatures can't attack you or a planeswalker you control unless the controller pays X for each creature, where X is the number of enchantments you control. I mean, it's almost like they're screaming at you. Yeah, I, I don't comment on not officially spoiled cards. Ah, okay. Fair enough. So, let's go with uh, your first card then, uh, Travis. You picked out Sirio uh, Pharrell, I believe. That is correct. <laughs> uh, Fencing Ace. It is a 1-1 human soldier uh, for one and a white with double strike. And it seems kind of innocuous, but if Boros Swiftblade was a, um extended winning creature for a while, it's one to keep an eye on. I have a feeling this guy is going to prove key to the story. Because why else would they spoil him at the PAX party? But the problem I have with him is that all the good equipment's gone. Ah, but scavenge isn't. With scavenge in the set, and then also with, I mean, you do have some some enchantments that'll boost, you know, plus two, plus two, and you get a knight. That could enchant him, and then all of a sudden he's swinging for six. And it's not like Rancor's not still there. That's true, too. So this one is officially spoiled. I know, Mike, you were kind of interested in this one on, on top eight. Yeah, I think uh, I think Rancor's pretty pretty obvious, the work of him. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the... I mean, not all the good equipment's gone. You know, the swords are gone, but still have um, Rune Chancer spikes. I think that this is like a... I don't know if you guys recall um, before the Delver decks and Standard, you know, kind of got to the point where they are now. Uh, people were playing with um, what's the name of that guy? It's like uh, Phyrexian and 
do for a 3 1 first striker. And porcelain Legionnaire. Yeah, they're, they're playing Porcelain Legionnaire in, in their Delver deck. So this guy's not that dissimilar from a card like that in Delver, you know, in particular if you're. Your goal is to armor up with a with a ring chancer spike. You know, he can swing for ten. It's it's a yeah. it's possible. And you know, just like Travis said, uh, the card is very close to Boris Swiftblade. Uh, principal difference being one point of toughness. And you know, I'm not saying he's going to set the modern world on fire or anything, but the fact of the matter is, there's no more gut shot in standard. So no, there's still tragic slip, but gut shot's gone. I mean, you have a tragic slip. You know, well, there's a new red card that does one damage too. I mean, there's, yeah, there's always there's always going to be pingers. You can't play it for free. Yeah, I mean the tragic slip or whatever. Like Gutshot's a blue white card. That's yeah. that's the reason. <laughs> that's the well, reason why yeah. it matters that it's gone. Like, I mean, there's sure. never going to be a shortage of cheap red cards that can that can kill a one toughness creature or even two toughness creature. It's a it's a question of whether or not the the best aggressive blue white deck can do the same thing. I uh, I would like to put silver inlaid dagger on this guy. He is a human after all, and that's not that far from playable. That card's all right. I think a lot of cards are going to be going up in in playability once stuff like the swords rotate. I don't think we're going to see a format with no equipment in it, and there's some pretty decent equipment in in, in a Strad block. Uh, okay, Adina, your first card. Uh, the first one I had listed was, of course, Corpse Jack Menace. Anyone who knows me and saw that card spoiled would know that's the first one that I'm going gravita- to gravitate towards. So it's two, a black and a green, creature fungus. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be placed on a creature you control, twice that many plus one plus one counters are placed instead. Four, four creature. So it's a four, four for four with, you know, the half of doubling season that we didn't get when we got parallel lives. So, you know, I was talking about doubling season right before this got spoiled, too. So it was was pretty funny when I saw it on there. Almost as though we got a preview card. Yeah, yeah, almost as if that was our preview card, because I was just like, no, they're going to find a way to print something that doubles your plus one, plus one counters. All they have to do is make it not hit Planeswalkers. And sure enough, that's what they did. It looks like not just this card, but a bunch of cards in this set, abilities that ordinarily we would see on enchantments, we're seeing as creature abilities. Because there's, there's another creature that, you know, gives all your tokens plus one, plus one. So ordinarily that would be something that we would see an enchantment for, but it's actually attached to a creature this time. So I think that's really interesting about this set. I've, I've kind of noticed that on quite a number of creatures. So Corpse Jack Menace, I mean, it, it is obviously made to be played with Scavenge, right? But I don't know if it's going to... Do we think this is going to see any constructed play? I don't think they've spoiled enough yet to really make it uh, constructed playable, but, I mean, that can be a very powerful ability, just depending on what else they print throughout the block. I mean, it seems insane with Gavany Township. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I don't see, like... I think think you just play it in, like, a junk colors, uh, green-white deck, touching for it, and... Gavany Township and some light scavenge, and it's just a four 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 that if they don't kill it. Your Gavany Township to annihilate them, and of course Lultrol. Yeah, I mean, what? Well, I'm not sure how the man will work out entirely. I posted a deck that had uh, a lot of these principles in it um, on Flores Friday a week or two ago, and um, I, I think that this card has a lot of potential. I, I really quite like it. 
it, it would be good because it would be really the first doubling season effect card to see strong competitive play. So I hope it does make it. Well, how much does doubling season cost? Like 100 mana? Five. Five. Yeah, so close enough. So doubling season costs more than this guy, and this guy's also a 4 4 4 4. Yeah, he also smashes face. And he's also vagina dentitis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> vagina dentitis. Four, four, That's four, why four. I will be playing with the pre release version, which looks nothing like that. Right now I'm going to have nightmares. <laughs> you didn't have nightmares already about the dream of Chris Unzel waking up and his green trading post deck taking over the world and then playing the part of V in this reality? <laughs> no, I can distinguish between fact or fiction there. Travis wakes up. He looks out the window. <laughs> There's a tree. <gasps> Something's missing. Everywhere, everywhere, acorns. Wait, what's going on? <laughs> Saying so. <laughs> empty, empty nests. Oh no. It's like Saturday nights on NBC when I was a kid. Empty nests. Oh jeez, I remember <laughs> that show. So my first card is going to be Vraska. Uh, this card seems insane. Uh, Vraska the Unseen. Three green, black. For a Planeswalker, she starts with five loyalty, which is already crazy. Uh, plus one, until your, end, until your next turn, whenever a creature deals combat damage to Vraska, destroy that creature. Uh, minus three, destroy target non-land permanent. Minus seven, put three one-one black assassin tokens onto the battlefield with, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. I, for some reason, I've turned into a control player. All of the decks I want to make with this set, our control. I want to play this card in a deck with Tamiyo and uh, Curse of Death's Hold and just keep the board completely clear, make them sacrifice all their creatures until she ultimates, and then just win. Like That's all I want to do in standard. I just want to want win to with her. Assassin. All five drops. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> choose again. Again. Well, I mean, I could I could drop Jace at four and drop her at five, oh, I guess. Boy. <laughs> this card's good. I, I, it's good because it has a Desert Twister in the middle. Yeah. But yeah. it's just going to get Dreadboard. I mean, like, you can't you can't care too much about your expensive Planeswalkers, I don't think. I think they're all dead now. At least she will be able to destroy something. Like, she's going to be... She's going to take something with her when she gets Dreadboard. Yeah, she's, she's a sweet Desert Twister. I agree. But I think that's the reason why she's good. Like, I mean, I also dream about assassin tokens killing somebody. (laughs) 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 They're one ones. (laughs) We have some sort of technologies that make them have no blockers, and, like, we haste our one ones. Well, we have populate. No, never mind that. You can just play Rogue's Passage. Or Parallel Lives. Oh! (laughs) I, I was no, imagining I all of those scenarios as well, so yeah. But I don't Rogue's know what most of these cards do. Rogue's unblockable. Oh, yes. Unblockable would be okay. Parallel Lives is just going to give you six assassins instead of three, so... And then they play Suffer the Bloodline. Oh. That card is going to be very, very good, I think, after rotation. Pick them up now. 
But I really want to play with this creature, or this planeswalker. I don't know that she's worth what they're pre-selling at. Uh, you can get them on face-to-face games for 35 right now, uh, which is down from the 40 I think they were to start with. But I don't know how Isn't good she's going to be. Price? Well, Jace is only selling for 23 right now on face-to-face. No, 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 no. Jace the Mind Sculptor. Isn't that like the Jace pre-sale price? That was 25 Really? I mean, yeah, she's not worth twice of Jace or whatever. 160% of a Jace. <laughs> of course, Jace was vastly underpriced on the pre-release price anyway, and I think that's part of why now when we see pre- uh, pre-sales for Planeswalkers, they're almost always over $30 just because... You know, the stores are a little paranoid, and you never quite know what's going to happen. Well, I don't Although think I think everybody knew. I think everybody knew what was going to happen with Jace. Everybody said it was a good card. You know, nobody looked at Jace and said, oh, this is crap. Nobody's going to play this. I don't think she's worth 160% of the current Jace, the one that's being printed in the same set as her. No. I mean, it's a good card, but you really so much rather have this card than a Thrag Tusk. I mean, like... You don't have to sell me on Thrag Tusk. I love that guy. I mean, like, a Thrag Tusk is also good in cost five. And is more likely to win the game for you. And he uh, I mean, Faithmender. <laughs> What's up with the yeah. Faithmender? Why do you keep mentioning it? <laughs> it's actually uh, one of the few tools we found that's really good against zombies. Remember how you mentioned Chris likes mid-range life gain decks? <laughs> Apparently he corrupted me. Yeah, I agree Vresca's good. I don't know if I agree <laughs> that Faith Mender's good. <laughs> well, we were, he, he was saying that Faith Mender with Thrag Tusk is a lot of fun. That's what he was. And after oh, this, uh, with the Life Gain Centaur and with uh, Near Hearth Pilgrim, I mean, there's a lot of good Life Gain that, that may be worth exploring. Ah, uh, good Life Gain. The oxymoron of all oxymorons. I think life game's good. I do too, but most pros don't. Life game isn't good. Already good. Yeah, life game is good, but tons of life game is awesome. (laughs) Life game's really good if you stick it onto something you might also want. You know, like I think like a a centaur healer is good because like a three three for three is like a reasonable thing to pay for, and also game three. I don't think it's good enough to play main deck in standard. But it's really good to sideboard. If you're just gonna like play it against zombies or something, like that's something that's an annoying thing for them to deal with. So that's how good would that sure. centaur have been in the days that you used gnarled mass? Uh, I mean, it's a, I well, probably wouldn't have been able to play it. Like I wouldn't, I would not have meant for white for that deck. You know, like I'd yeah. rather have him in gnarled mass, honestly. Well, hit us with your first card. Uh, Abrupt decay. Green, black, destroy target online permanent with converted mana to cost three or less. It's an instant that can't be countered. So it's another Yeah, this, uh, this is getting a ton of play around the internet. Lots of people love this. It does, it kills pretty much everything that's seeing play uh, after rotation. I mean, it gets rid of a Gerald's Messenger or a Gravecrawler. Of course, they're just going to come back. I think it's a big structure that it's not going to get rid of a Restoration Angel, and it's not going to get rid of a Thrag Tusk. No, that's true. No, but it's I mean, internal playable. It gets rid of a lot. I mean, it gets rid of a counterbalance, and the counterbalance can't stop it. Yeah, eternal, it's absolute nuts. It's the stone-cold balls, but 
Standard, I think it's going to be a little bit lacking. Who plays Standard? <laughs> Lots of people play Standard. I mean, I think it's also awesome in Standard, right? Yeah, I mean, it gets rid of O-Rings, in which Black has had, obviously, impossibilities doing. It gets rid of Centaur it healers. <laughs> it also gets rid of that new uh, detention sphere, which is probably going to see play if tokens becomes a thing. If you really hate Delver, you can get rid of that too. I mean, it's, is this like a, a debate? Like, is this clearly like a top five <laughs> card in the set? Maybe the best card in the set. I don't. Is there some sort of dissension here? No, no dissension whatsoever. Every viable deck has targets for this card, and it can kill anything. So it can kill, like, everything from, uh, I don't know, a Johnny 3 to Liliana 3 to, uh, uh, I don't know, a Centaur Healer to a Delver of Secrets. Do you think it's going to be better than Dreadbore in the long run? Uh... I mean, I don't. I think that a lot of decks will play both. I think it's hard to say which one's better. Like in in some formats and in some situations, you'd much rather have a dread war, right? Um, I could tell you if I had both of them in my hand, all things considered, I would probably be more apt to play the abrupt decay before I played the dread war. Uh, but you know, which one's better? Like dread war can kill Vraska. You know, abrupt decay can kill Delver without being stopped. You know, like the if you like wait around to try to kill Delver with a Dreadbore, you might not kill the the Delver, or you might lose Nebraska. Both the Delver and Nebraska are apt to kill you. So you know, I, I don't know which one's better. I think they're both really good. Um, Abrupt Decay is bad against Chris's five drop deck, but besides <laughs> that, I think you all want it. It is Chris bad against Chris's on the five stage two of the meta game. <laughs> yeah, he's he's already figured out how to play around abrupt decay. Never underestimate the hidden nuggets of genius that I hit that can be found within insanity. Yeah, my team was uh, testing like a black green deck one year for I think extended with no two drops at all. So uh, spell snare time. Yeah, so we were like, oh man, we can get around spell snare, and we 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 had all the levels right. We had like. The, the O3 tree folk that could get other tree folk. Maybe it was a Dorian deck. And so we were, we were playing a Moto Q and opponent was playing like a real black green deck with Tarmogoyfs. And then, uh, we're like, Tinger! We got like the root grapple. Like root grappled his like treetop village, drew a card because we had a tree in play. Not realizing that the tribal on the root grapple actually this is like the biggest smack in the face ever. You're just like, oh man, we got him on this race. Ah, they're like, no, root grapple. It's tribal. <laughs> yeah, so if you've never heard of uh, no two drop dot deck, there's a reason you should play two drops. It's not really up for debate. <laughs> All right, wheeling around, Travis. Card number two. Deathrite Shaman. Uh, oh, yeah. Costs a black-green hybrid mana. It's a 1-2 elf shaman, and it has three abilities. You can tap it and exile a land from any graveyard to add one mana of any color. You can pay a black and tap it and exile a instant or sorcery again from any graveyard to have your opponent lose two life. And tap a green, a green and tap it 
exile a creature card from any graveyard, and you can gain two life. And this, uh, yeah, this card is really shooting up my uh, my list for the best cards in the set. I think it's going to be nuts and modern. Oh yeah, with fetch lands. Yeah, and it also yeah, hosts yeah. your opponent's graveyard. I mean, hey, look, nice kitchen finks. I'll just you know, get rid of it and gain two life. Um, nice job, storm. I'll get rid of the cards you um, you've stockpiled in your graveyard. It's, it's I don't know, it's just got a lot of symmetries with it. Yeah, Gavin's article this week was actually about that card. And put it in a bunch of different decks. He took three different decks and said, you know, it's it's good in a lot of different strategies. So I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. Those of you who know Legacy, so Mike and Will, no offense, guys, um, could this be played sort of as an answer to something like, not only Dredge, but Reanimator and Knight of the Reliquary? Could it could it help out all on all of those fronts, or is it just not good enough? It's not good enough against Dredge. No. Dredge is far too fast. Even for this being a one-drop? Yeah. I mean... You're getting rid of one card. You're not getting rid of one card. Like, the, the problem is... Uh, I mean, like, we've heard your opponents playing... Look, they have an optimal draw. They kill you on the first turn. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, like, they don't kill you, maybe. You might not actually be dead, but there's, like, lethal in play. could be on the first yeah. turn. The uh, only deck fast enough to beat their their fastest draw is, like, another combo deck or another graveyard deck. Like, this deck's nowhere near fast enough to fight against um, Supplement Breakfast, for example. So, but it, it can certainly help against, like, Entomb My Grizzlebrand, right? Or something like that. I'd, I mean, I'd still want Scavenging Ooze in, like, every possible opportunity over this. It depends, right? Like, they go land, go, and you go land Death Ray Chairman, and they're like, alright, Entomb My, my Grizzlebrand, untap, reanimate my Grizzlebrand. You're, like, sitting there with a the Death Ray Chairman that <laughs> yeah. you're tapped. I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's also a 1 2, so. They could kill it and then do their thing. <laughs> okay, so it's not good enough for Legacy. I, I, I don't think that it's necessarily the case. It's not good enough for Legacy. Like, do people play? Uh, do people play uh, uh, Antoine Ruel decks in Legacy? Like, I don't think they really play them anymore, right? Like, those are kind of been. We last saw like a zoo deck with Antoine Ruel like maybe three years ago. Uh, that's Sylvan Safekeeper, right? No, no, that's uh, Alarade. Okay. Antoine Ruel is uh, Ranger Vios. Oh, okay. So, like, you know, this guy could potentially work bad. I think that, I think that there's a lot of value that you can get out of it. For example, I think it'd be interesting. You could probably chop up Tarmogoyf a lot with it. Uh, or if, if there, there are certain kind of decks that give you a lot of time, but I don't think like, I think that if you're fighting against a Tomb Gristlebrand or Dredge or Cephalid Breakfast, one of these like ultra-powerful, ultra-fast, graveyard-based legacy decks, this is not the weapon you want. Uh, in, hit, I mean, can he slow down a Knight of the Reliquary? Sure. He's, he can also slow down a Nimble Mongoose, right? I mean, yeah, really slow. <laughs> I mean, you're, take, you're talking about, like, you take out one card, right, and then, you know, yeah. two, and then they crack fetch land and cast Ponder. I mean, they're back to threshold. It's not... Sure. And your guy, your guy taps. That's the problem, right? If he didn't tap... Yeah. A different story. Well, I think it'd be interesting the the bluffs and levels in Death Ray Chamber against Nimble Mongoose. If that fight ever came up, you know, like say your opponent swings with a three three Nimble Mongoose, do you take that as a signal that he missed the fact that you have a Death Ray Chamber, or that um, you know he can get out of your Death Ray Chamber? Depends on who okay. you're playing. I mean, like uh, yeah. it's interesting, right? Definitely, it adds levels, which I love. 
it's the kind of thing I'm starting to study now so that I can actually get better as a player before I start looking at my deck building. But in standard, I think the land ability is not going to be terribly relevant. I mean, the only lands that go to graveyards often are Ghost Quarters and uh, Evolving, Wild. Evolving Wilds. Well, um, it depends. I mean, it depends on what you're trying to do with it. Um, if you want to try to build the Splinter Fried deck, it would work that way. Um, if you want to... I was talking online about a... Maybe not this set, but next set, once we get Simic, a blue-green version, so that you could also use um, Salt Scour to load up the graveyard. I mean, there's going to be lots of ways you can randomly get lands in your graveyard. I don't think we need Thought Scour to load up the graveyard when we have Grizzly Salvage, Mulch, Tracker's Instinct, Splinter Fright itself. If you're playing Tracker's Instinct, why wouldn't you play, why wouldn't you play uh, um, Thought Scour, though, right? They're, it's, they're equally blue, right? Yeah, but it's Tracker's Instinct digs you deeper and lets you choose which card you draw. All right. I think being one is awesome. There, there is that, and it's also an instant, which is another bonus. I mean, I, I don't know. This, this card doesn't do anything for me. I mean, I'd be very happy to be wrong, but it just seems okay. like a lightning bolt target that is highly inconsistent. Like, look at look at the cards that have a similar profile to this card, and how much less they ask of you. Yeah. So look at it like that, right? Like a noble hierarch never asks you to exile a land card from your graveyard. Yeah, and, yeah. and he gave you so much. You know, he gave you an extra point of power on your on your uh, uh, Eldrazi conscription, just for sitting there. Just for sitting there. You know, and he. I also, I also think this one may have been designed with zombies in mind. Um, it's got the two toughness to dodge the tragic slip without morbid, of course. Um, but it can it can take out the messenger once it's the graveyard or the uh, uh, another one drop zombie that keeps coming back. Great. Yeah, I, actually, I love that idea, Travis. I think that's. I think if you, I think hosing a fair deck with this, or at least challenging the opponent to do something about this, is a very interesting line of play. Um, I like it much more than than trying to fight against a fast combo deck in Legacy. Yeah, I was just asking if it was possible because I don't really know Legacy well enough to know. But. So, uh, Adina, your second card. Rest in peace. We've got an enchantment for one and a white. When Rest in Peace enters the battlefield, exile all cards from all graveyards. If a card or token would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Yeah, this is a pure out hoser card. Yeah, I, I can see this, you know, just getting, you know, hoses zombies, hoses Delver, you know, anything that uses Snapcaster, any kind of graveyard strategy whatsoever. So it's kind of sad that they're printing this in the exact same set that they're printing Scavenge, you know, because now we've got this, this huge graveyard theme and then we've got the answer to it right there. Is this like officially the best anti-graveyard card they've ever printed? I mean, like... Against compared to Tormod's Crypt and um, Leyline of the Void and things, it, it's it's useful if they've already got cards in the graveyard, and it's useful once it's in play to keep the cards from getting in their graveyard. It seems to be sort of a uh, departure from the way they'll usually let you just well, attack Avenue. Like it, like it, it depends. If you're looking at like say entire Magic history, it'd probably be between this and Planar Void. Uh, the advantage of Planar Void is only one black. Like it doesn't exile cards when it comes into play but it does cost the one less mana. And this is symmetrical, so like with Leyline and the Void, you can play that in a graveyard-based mirror and not hose yourself, but with this, it's, it's gonna, it, it hoses you too. So, But I mean, it, against zombies, this thing is brutal. 
is all their undying get shut off. Not to mention all the graveyard triggers and anything that triggers on going to the graveyard isn't going to actually yep. go to the graveyard. It's going to yep. be exiled instead. Yep, so Blood Artist never triggers. Very true. I'll move on to my second card, which is Desecration Demon. Uh, as I said, when this first got spoiled, I can't remember who had it on the, on the mothership. But I, I remember when 6-6 six, six Flyers for 4 had a drawback. I don't <laughs> think this guy has a drawback. So he's 2BB for a 6-6 six, six Flyer. At the beginning of each combat, any opponent may sacrifice a creature. If a player does, tap Desecration Demon and put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on it. So they can choose not to do it on your turn, but then choose to do it on their turn. Right. And they can also do it even if it's tapped. So, so saying this doesn't have a downside is like saying the Punisher mechanic doesn't have a downside. It lets your opponent take control of uh, combat with it. So, I mean, it definitely has a downside. It's so minor, though. Like, How, the, how is the, the down- Abyss a downside? It's cost the same as the Abyss, and it doesn't affect you. And it hits them for six minimum. If they don't have a creature, they get smashed. Like, it, we and Just think about it as the Abyss. Don't think about it as, like... The abyss on a six-six flyer, but I'm also thinking about it in a format with undying and um, grave crawlers and lingering souls and lots of ways to combat it. Yeah, but imagine you had the abyss instead, and all those things are still true, right? But like this time, you're like, eh, I flipped over a a, a bonfire of the damned. Yeah, you know, well, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna play this card in decks that. Uh, controlling anyway. This isn't going to be a, an aggro finisher, I don't think. This is going to be a card you put in decks that want to keep the board clear so that they only have one or two creatures in play, and eventually they're going to run out, and then you just smash them in the face. By the time this is able to attack regularly, it's probably a two-turn clock at most. And if you ever live the dream and play this with a bi- uh, Reaper of the Abyss, they're just never going to have a creature. I really, really like this guy. I've pre-ordered four, and I never pre-order cards. Yeah, Not to mention, if you play this in conjunction with, you know, one of the blue black or one of the blue untapper creatures that we have out there right now, you know, something that's going to untap it. Oh, you sacrifice a creature? Well, I'll untap it anyway. Well, they just never sacrifice then, right? <laughs> well, most likely, you would think that they would not sacrifice. Not unless they had two creatures to sacrifice because they really didn't want it to attack. Uh, uh, where would you play this, Mike, if you were going to play it? Like, does it? Do you think it goes in a controlling, more of a controlling build? I think this card's outstanding. I would play it in Jund. Uh, I would play it in. I think like well, maybe a little bit different with that guy posted. I was, I was actually thinking like you could just take the spot that I have Restoration Angel right now, not Splash White, so it's just my four. Um, hmm. uh, there, there's that, and uh, you could also play it in like Black Blue Control. This card's awesome in Black Blue Control. Right, yeah. where you're just like counter spells and removal spells, and you just have this thing. You're like, attack me. Let's go. Like, so you're playing <laughs> it defensively, right? You have a 6 6 flyer on that. Their options are attack into it, lose my guy, sack my guy. Or they can sack my guy to tap it, and then you just like bounce or kill their other guy. How long you want to play this game, bud? Eventually, you're going to run out, and you can't kill my guy. And then, like, and then I hit you. Play this in a deck full of, like, you know. What if, you, what if your fours were this guy and Olivia Voldaren? You're like, oh. let's go. Oh. Let's go, <laughs> Gravecrawler. <laughs> what you got? What you got, Gravecrawler? You know, we got, think about it. Like, I mean, 
it's it's sweet and black blue control. It's sweet and jund. It's probably it's. I mean, uh, well, the last time I was Ravnica, we had a, a demon that was just basically like a way worse version of this. It was like, like hell kind of a demon. Uh, yeah, whatever. Four four for five. Uh, actually, abyss right. Yeah. And I was like, I think this will be like a staple staple quality card. I, I actually played it in the Pro Tour in a deck I went undefeated with, um, uh, and um, and uh, at least on day one, on like very respectable record. And I, I mean, it, that card's substantially worse than this card. Like you had to sacrifice. It was like actually the abyss. So like, you're actually also sacrificing creatures, and they have no more option than they do today. I, I think this this card does not have a drawback. And like, it. It's not even a punishing mechanic. Like, don't think about it as they can tap your guy if they want. Think about it as you're killing a guy every turn, and if they're not, they're doomed. Yeah, think of it as your abyss can attack them sometimes. Yeah, basically, like, it's an abyss with 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 power, not not a guy that 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 gets tapped sometimes. I mean, just I, the more I think about him in, in black blue control, it's just like he's unbelievable. Is he also he, zealous conscripts fate though? Um, I mean. Any good creature is Zealous Conscript's bait. Yes. Like, every single good creature in the history of Magic the Gathering that doesn't have protection from red is Zealous Conscript's bait. So, yes, he is. Do you think that this, if you play this the turn before you drop Vraska, that could be a thing, too? Sure. He's good with all kinds of good cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Combos with Magic the Gathering. I mean, like, what if your curve were, like, this guy, Vraska... Uh, Olivia Old Aaron. I could live with that. That's a deck. That's the Lansdale Jun special. Congratulations. You, you can go with the <laughs> finals now. That's your curve. That's your curve on, on three, four, five. Notice I didn't say four, five, six. You were right. <laughs> yeah, we've got to get some ramp in there somewhere with Chromatic Lantern. No, God, why threes? Jesus Christ. <laughs> no. Or five or four is your deck, okay? You go two, four. You have no room for a three. You never want three. Your curve is two, four. A player of the year told me that a couple of weeks ago. Huh? Yeah, it was correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Will, your next card. Uh, Niv Magus Elemental. It's a, oh. it's a one, two for blue-red uh, creature. Exile an instant or sorcery spell you control. Put two plus one plus one counters on Niv Magus Elemental. So oh, what's funny is that when this card was first spoiled, the person who, like, someone messaged me on it. And they put the description, but they didn't put you control in it. So they just said exile, instant, or sorcery spell. And I was like, this seems really broken. ridiculously good, <laughs> yeah. Dear Storm, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> exile that and make my creature bigger. And, and what's interesting is the fact that it is spell, not card, so it's, you're not exiling it from your hand. You have to play the spell first. From the stack. So yeah, those people that actually... hate having their spells countered, well, you found a way around it. Yeah. Oh, you countered my spell? Oh, I'll just exile it and get two counters. Cheer! So, Mike, you were talking about this with BDM, and I, I couldn't really get a handle on whether you think it's going to see play or not. To me, it's one of those cards that you're just like, this is either ridiculous or horrible. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think it's ridiculous. Like Brian liked it way more than I do. I, I don't think it's horrible. It's like a one-two for one in red, and it has some upside. Like it certainly could see play depending on uh, the shape of the metagame. But I mean, I just don't see the 
the gigantic lollipop bridges and, you know, <laughs> candy cane bikinis firing, uh, firing fireworks that, that Brian sees when he So why do you hate Christmas, Brian? But, 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 but <laughs> you're, you're, you're the counterburn guy. How am I the counterburn guy? Because every new form, every time rotation comes, KYT sends me a list being like, this is, this is Mike Flores' new list. And I don't even have to look at it. I know it's counterburn. I like cheap spells that do more than what they cost. <laughs> if that makes me the counterburn I mean, like, I like the card uh, Counter Squall, for example. I think it's very undercosted. Uh, is that making the counterburn guy? I don't know. I have not lost a lot of games that have cast the card Counter Squall. Um, I don't know what to tell you. I like this guy. I like burn cards. I like counter spells. It just seems like it. He kind of, I don't know, it sort of gives you the answer that you need. Well, not the answer that you need, but it's a way to, say, recycle some of your cards that you're just kind of like, do I really want to deal two damage to, say, a creature or a player, or I can just give them an extra two plus one plus one counter? Like, I feel like this card presupposes, like, a lot of good permission or something. It was like... First of all, I could never imagine myself building around this card, right? Like, I'm not going to build a deck that... It only works if Niv Magus Elemental is in play. No, no, for sure. You're not going to do that. A support card. So his ability only comes online if people are countering you, more or less, right? Or, like, giant growthing through your your lightning bolt or whatever. I don't know. Is that the world I want to live in? That, like, I'm... (laughs) My card works when my opponent's doing stuff that actually damages my main strategy? (laughs) I, this seems like I mean, if you think about it like that, this is just like the epitome of the sloppy seconds girlfriend. Like, <laughs> like, oh well, I didn't get what I really wanted, but you know, two plus this one counters. Okay. I was really high on this card when it was first spoiled. I've cooled on it some, but I still think it has a lot of potential. It's. Uh, I mean, it'd be one we had to see the metagame for first, but having the option to have a large creature instead of an extra Geist Flame in hand, uh, I mean, may be really relevant in some matches. And when you get to people like you know, Patrick Sullivan here, uh, no red uh, red decks better than anyone else, um, they may be able to turn this into something that, that, that format controlling. I, I That's actually what I was thinking with this. This is more of a red card yeah, than a blue card. I see this defense against Swerve. I think, like, I mean, you may be sided in in a blue deck, like, so you can go aggro control against another blue deck, but, yeah, it's a base red card, not a base blue card. But, you know, it's just... I don't think it's awful. It certainly could see play. I just... It's not the kind of card that I want to write my mommy about. Dear Mom, I met the mega elemental. I think when Chris Lansdale won all those PDQs with no green trading posts. <laughs> dirtle, dirtle. I wasn't a Magus Elemental Mom. Thank you for bringing me into the world so that I could experience the Magus Elemental plus one plus one counters just the one time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm you know, Where you play this thing turn one and you have... You have uh, a small burn spell in hand in case they have the turn one Delver or in case they have the turn one uh, uh, Pilgrim or whatever, and they don't have that, so instead you get attacked for three damage on turn two. Yeah, it, or it, you should give you that, that option to turn your deck to from control to the beatdown. So, it has that potential, but like I just I I don't like the notion of investing anything in 
my permanent. Like, does that make any sense? Like, it's, a, it's the same reason why I'm like, yeah, I think Vraska is good. It has a Destry Twister in the middle. I think it's a very good card. But I don't want to become emotionally invested in Vraska when I know that she's just going to eat a Dreadbore 75% of the time. I don't want to get like a lot of card investment into Magus Elements when I know that he's either going to get bounced or he's going to get speared or he's going to get abrupt decayed like the vast majority of the time. The format that we're setting up for is not a format that is going to be particularly kind to a great deal of emotional or card investment in particular permits. That's I. That's why I want to build around cards like Borderland Ranger that other people don't particularly like because my guy got his money. Borderland Ranger came down. He's going to trade with your much better card that you might have spent less mana for, but I got a land out of it. All right, Travis, next card. Mine is also involves a, a small weight, gentlemanly wager with uh, Mr. Jack LaCroix. Jace, Architect of Thought. Two and two blue. Uh, for um, Comes into play with four, which is a pretty good starting point. Uh, gets the plus one of until your next turn. Whenever a creature an opponent controls attacks, it gets minus one, minus zero to an turn. He has the minus two of reveal the top three cards of your library. An opponent separates them into two piles, basically a, a mini factor fiction for three cards instead of five. And he has the minus eight of... Each for each player, search that player's library for a non-land card and exile it, and then you may cast it without paying the mana cost. Um, Jack and I have a gentlemanly wager where um, I say that this card will show up as a, at least a two of in a, a tier one deck between now and Christmas. He says it will not; it'll be sideboard at best. So we have a couple parameters, and um, the loser has to alter a card for the winner. Jack is very badly wrong. Consider this one of the best cards in the format. Yeah, so. if, I, if I had the extra <laughs> money, I'd buy eight copies of it today while it's at 25. So what what do you see this uh, being played with, Mike? Oh, like blue cards. <laughs> yeah, I, it's actually, it's not really my cup of tea uh, as far as Jace's go, but, I mean, it's just... Seems like a fine card to me. It'll probably. I think blue-white control will be its most obvious early home. Maybe like, and maybe we might see a Bant deck. I think that I think you want to get the jump on people, and like if you can far seek into this, it'd be probably pretty cool. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, it's just going to be so hard to kill. Yeah, it's like five toughness, and then the, the opponent's creatures have no power. It's probably really good at milking into a pyroclasm of some kind, you know, or, you know, all the cards that you want to play with this are blue-white, right? Like, this thing has Sphinx's Revelation written all over it. It's got, you know, uh, it's going to work very well hand-in-hand with the new Wrath of God. Yeah, I see this as a blue-white card. It certainly will be more than a two-of in some tier one deck. I, I like it a lot. Uh, the people are underrating how good the minus one, minus zero to all attacking creatures is going to be. Especially, like you said, if you get this down on turn three after fast seeking, or or arbor elfing or so, something like that, like that's going to shut down a lot of the early attacks, and you're going to have your own blockers. It's not like you're just going to throw Jace out there. Or what about this into Curse of Death's Hold? I mean, that's going to make combat a nightmare for a new opponent. Oh, this in Nebraska, huh? Because <laughs> <laughs> right, you're no. gonna get the double blue, and then wow, what colors are you playing? <laughs> yeah, the sad thing about that is uh, the breeding pool and watery grave don't come around till gate crash. I mean, you can hit whatever lands you want; it's pretty easy. Oh yeah, we're not gonna have trouble fixing mana. 
until this set rotates, I don't think. You can play your stupid lantern thing. That'll work. <laughs> <laughs> stupid lantern will go three to five. That's pretty good. The Lansdale lantern. Yeah, I think <laughs> this card's good. Yeah, for sure. Do not disagree at all. Uh, okay, so you're in ready, Jack. I want a very nicely altered card. Let's uh, push this through since it's getting to stupid o'clock in the morning. Uh, Adina, next card. Necropolis Regent. Anybody who knows me knew that I would pick the vampire. So we've got three black, black, black for a 6-5 vampire with flying and ability that says, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, put that many plus one, plus one counters on it. I really want to play this with Corpse Jack Menace. Stop. That's just gross. <laughs> Stop now. <laughs> you know, I have three of those, you know, little blocks that have 36 dice, you know, the little Chessex, you know, yeah. 36 by 6. Yeah, I, I want to have a deck that I can actually go through and play and use at least half of the dice that are in that, you know, in one of those little boxes. You know, I, I, I've used maybe five or six of them at Stop. once. Just, what just squad is she on? Is she Demir? Demir's not until gate crash, so I don't think so. I think she might be unaligned. Yeah, no, I mean, like, the... Dark, Dark Confidant is Orzov, even though he was in Ravnica. You know, like the... I think she's Demir. Uh, well, Seems Demir had all, all the vampires last all time. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I've been playing Black Red for, like, the last two years, so obviously I've joined Rakdos. No, the card, not you. Oh, the card. Oh, I thought you yeah. meant me. I'm oh, okay, never mind. Look at how classy she is. What, 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 what could she be? She's not fat Doesn't... enough to be Orzov. No, it's Demir. I think it's she's got to be Demir. She, like, oh, yeah, she's, 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 she's like Zadok, but like less crappy. You also have the flavor text, right? And like, yeah, that's what oh, and about to be Demir, though. I don't see anything about her hiding in the shadows. Well, she's in mm. the Undercity. Fair. Aren't aren't the Demir and the Golgari fighting over the Undercity? I mean, the Demir are clutching the Undercity, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that is I love that card. <laughs> <laughs> it's even better when you radiate it. Why do you take uh, like good cards and then just like add a red white ability? <laughs> it's not like no, no, no. three black and blue commitments. <laughs> That's radiance. <laughs> we 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 have a term for that. It's called Lansdelling it. No, radiate is a red spell. You'll think it's not radiance, the blue white, the red white ability. I've done that in EDH. I don't. I wouldn't ever try it in real magic. Oh. No, I wouldn't. Honestly. <laughs> All right, my next card is Pack Rat. Uh, I've been pretty high on this card, and yes, some people would say I'm high to like it since it was spoiled, and I had at least one pro tell me I'm an idiot because of it. Which one? Uh, Which one? Yeah. Alex Only one. PV said that he thought it was like a bitter boss. A PV may have been exaggerating its goodness slightly. I don't think it's that good. Yeah. So Packrat is a star star for black and one. His power and toughness are each equal to the number of rats you control. You can pay black and two to discard a card. You put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of Packrat. So he populates himself, essentially. I just want to put Lingering souls and grizzle brands and replica, uh, um, burial rites into my graveyard and make lots of rats and kill people. 
I don't think that's bad. I, I'm I'm confused. So your goal is to if take you a whole lot of good cards. You list all of these for rats. <laughs> you want to you may have three mana turn. <laughs> you may have noticed that those things will do things in the graveyard. So you right? could have just paid the three mana to make two one one tokens with the lingering salt instead of true. instead of discarding it in the background for only one token. Well, let's see, I have a decision to make in life. I can pay three mana to have two flying tokens, or just one non-flying token. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Chris, don't listen to him. Remember, there is parallel lives. And this would no. curve right, in, right after a parallel lives into two, or into three, three, threes. However, discarding Grizzlebrand to five, five, five. Travis, hush. Discarding Grizzlebrand to this is completely reasonable, and I, don't, I just I think it's it's got potential. I'm not saying it's the best card in the set by any stretch of the imagination. I think it, it's got potential to do things. I like it. I've warmed up the pack rat. He gave me rabies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there have been times in Magic's history when Ravenous Rats has been playable, right? Just thinking about my Wikipedia page, Mike Flores has rabies. Source. <laughs> Order of Nature's podcast. <laughs> and there's the episode title, Mike Flores has rabies. <laughs> Damn you know, it, I, internet. I kind of want to build, like, a budget rat deck with, you know, with this being the rare and then, you know... Play a bunch of rats. There's another rat in this set that makes you discard and just, you know, play a bunch of discard and a bunch of rats and a bunch of, you know, cheap black removal. Which, incidentally, Gavin's challenge this week was to create a uh, budget deck. So, but, but as I was saying, Ravenous Rats has, at various times in Magic's past, been a playable card. But not uh, for the same reason. No, I know that. But if, if it becomes so again, you know, that just makes pack rats bigger. Not that I think necessarily that's going to happen, just putting it out there. Anyway, Will, your next card. Slitherhead, the 1-1 uh, one, one for a hybrid uh, green or black. Uh, it's a plant zombie with scavenge zero. Yeah, this card is going to be best buds with lol troll, right? I suppose so, considering they're both zombies. But it also, like, undying is still going to be around. You know, no one's just throwing Undying away. So it actually has some interaction because it's target creature. So it can target your uh, opponent's creatures as well. It's a sorcery. How? There's no, like, say, combat trick yeah. at instant. But How often do you think that's going to be a thing, uh, where you throw away one of your own cards just to do that? Like, is well, that worth I th- a card? I think in Zombies, for, like, say, Messenger Wars, it becomes relevant. I think of this card sort of like Doom Traveler. It's one of those ones that doesn't look exciting right now. Later into the block, it's going to be it's going to start popping up in decks just because of it. it's got the value. It's just he's cheap to play. He can chump, and then he has an effect after he's dead. Yeah, there's also the unleash interaction, but I think that's a lot less valuable than the undying one. Well, I mean, if they only have one creature, right? You can just swing through. What do you think, Mike? I think it's a good card. I think that you're going to probably rancor it, trade, get some value down the line. So, I mean, it's like, you know, it's not that yeah. exciting. And, but I think it's a, it's going to be a good contributor. It's going to surprise you play in a variety of decks. 
and it's a plant and a zombie. Aren't they like natural enemies? They usually fight, so, yeah. On my iPad, so, they fight so, each other. So PopCap would have you believe, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's do one more round. Uh, I know we said five, but we're going a bit long, so we'll stick with one more each. So, Travis, make your pick, sir. Um, my, um, let me find it again. I think I'd be prepared for this when I see it coming. Uh, the recently spoiled Armada Worm. It costs two, two green and two white, so it's six mana. It is a 5-5 five, five Worm with Trample, and it has the text of, When Armada Worm enters the battlefield, put a 5-5 five, five Worm creature token with Trample onto the battlefield. So it's 10 power of trampling damage for 6 mana that combos with Restoration Angel and Blink Effects, and I think it's awesome. And Populate. And Populate. Heavy color requirement is my concern with this one. Really? You this can, is you where you draw the line. <laughs> when it's <laughs> you in the face. <laughs> I think four, it's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely powerful. I mean, you get two five five tramplers for six. It's ridiculous. Seems uh, good. It's a mythic, all right. Oh, I mean, but I mean, <laughs> I will leave my masturbation analogies at home. Yeah, please do. But what more can you say about a, a five five trampler that gives you another five five trampler? It's big. It smashes face. It combos with restoration angel. And it actually enough produces said? a good token to populate. True enough. All right. Well, uh, Adina. Uh, I've got her snipe written down, and I just can't find it in the spoiler. So. All right. Gutter snipe is two and a red for a 2-2 two, two <laughs> goblin. Whenever you play an instant or sorcery spell, deal two damage to each opponent. Thank you, yes. That so just combos seems... with burning vengeance. Yeah, and, and, I mean, it just seems like it would go really well into a... a like a blue-red Delver, mostly spells kind of deck. Yeah, if blue-red Delver is a deck post-rotation, I think this will be the backbone of it. Yeah, I, I want to build a deck with this and, and a couple of really cheap either red or blue creatures, just a couple of creatures, but mostly spells, lots of burn, um, you know, maybe some card draw and control kind of stuff, but but mostly burn, you know, and then every burn spell just burns that much more. Interesting to note here that with Niv Magus Elemental, if you cast an instant, or sorcery for that matter, this will trigger, and then you can eat it with the Elemental. Yeah, I, I don't think this card's going to see play in Blue-Red Delver. But it's probably two, three mana too it's much. It's way right? too much. Blue-Red Delver is going to be all one-drops, like in Snapcaster Mage. Like the what do you think yeah. of uh, Blister Coil Weird in there? That's the... Blue-red hybrid. That's the one that the guy was licking and eating on camera. Um, that uh, it gets whenever you play an instant or sorcery, he untaps and gets plus one plus one until end of turn. What card? Blister coil weird. Uh, I don't know if you saw the British guy that got the video spoiler. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen that card. Is it officially spoiled? It is officially spoiled. They gave it to a British pop star who upset a lot of people by eating it, basically licking it. Yeah. So what is... I don't, I'm sorry, I haven't seen it. What is this? It's a red-blue hybrid, so is it mana, for a 1-1. One, one. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Blister Coil Weird gets plus 1, plus 1 until end of turn. Untap it. Seems like it could be good. People are talking about putting dual casting on it, but I think that's going a bit too I deep. mean, well, it's instant or... So you could, like... It's out in play, and then you go to, like, 
Thought Scour and, I don't know, just uh, Thought Scour, Thought Scour, whatever, and then you just attack them for three? Is that what happens? Yes. Yeah, that seems like it would be pretty good. And untapping it, it just seems like an extra bonus that you ambush people I mean, who attack with their Geist. With their 1-1? One, one. I mean, like, I don't think you want to combat with it that often, right? No. But if they attack with their Geist and this guy's tapped and you happen to be holding, like, a an unsummon for the Angel and a Thought Scour or something, you can ambush their Geist out of nowhere. Okay. I mean, I mean, certainly people want to trade with Geists, right? Uh, for sure. But... Yeah, it does leave that, that layer of thinking in there. If, you know, your opponent has a tap blister coil wheeler and untap mana, do you attack with guys? Interesting. But, yeah, I like... Uh, Goddess Knight, I think there's a deck for it. I don't think Delver is it. Time will tell. Well, no, mana I, is just too much. I, I want to play it in, in, like, basically a spell... A, a deck that almost has all instants and sorceries. And that's why I was thinking maybe a couple of creatures and Delver might be one of them if the deck's all instants and sorceries. You know, so not not so much a Delver deck as a burn deck that happens to put Delver in it. Would you be more apt to play that card or Augur of Bolas if you were gonna if you were gonna set yourself up that way? Um, what's what's Augur of Bolas do again? It's a uh, you search one. for sorcery. No, look, reveal a top three and sinister. Yeah, through. yeah, top three and um. I don't know. You know, I'm I'm definitely all out aggro kind of player, so I would rather be burning my opponent with every spell I play than uh, searching my library for things. Um, Get you another I, burn spell. <laughs> true. Yeah. Well, that's true. It does. It yeah. That's that's good. So, Is this thing? I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry, Adina. I was just saying. I don't know. Maybe. Is this thing sort of comparable to Talrand in a way? I mean, instead of waiting for the creature to attack, you're dealing two right away, and it is a mana yeah, cheaper. But it's a one shot, right? Like the tower end leaves you a two two. I would think that you know, in a, in a deck with a lot of instants and sorceries, maybe Talrand and Delver, and this would be in it. I, I, I think mean, it might not. Like, I was thinking it, it seems to me substantially worse than Champion of the Parish in a in a deck like that, right? Like some Delver players try to play like Delver and Champion of the Parish, so like you get like two different kinds of aggressive one-drop starts, you know, talking about what Brad talks about when he was on your show last, uh, you want to play your your really powerful one-drop, uh, kind of set the tone of the game. Uh, and, you know, it is a bunch of one-shots. Like, you get in for three once, maybe. It's, it's, is it really that exciting? I, I don't know. I think it could be a, I think it could be a good card. I'm not naysaying it entirely, but agree, disagree, I think it's substantially worse than, than Champion Parish. I've, Picked up three playsets of champions for after pro for after rotation. I think they're going to be very good. So I definitely agree with you there. All right, my last card is going to be Cyclonic Rift. I think this card is going to do some serious work. If the bug control list doesn't work out, Grixis control is also something I want to try and build. So Cyclonic Rift is basically disperse. It's a blue and a colorless uh, return target po- non-land opponent you don't control to its owner's hand. And it has overload for six and a blue. Now, to answer pretty much all of your rules questions about overload, no, you can't. <laughs> what you can do, though, is cast this at the end of their turn, untap, and then cast Rakdos's return and blow them out. Again, with the three cards. That's a two-card combo. Yes, but you have three, three colors. colors in there. Yeah, but it's one of each color. It's not like you need a tremendous amount of... 
flexibility in your mana base. Plus, you do have Blood Crypt and Steam Vents in Return of Ravnica. Also, you keep complaining that you're always building control decks and you hate building control decks, yet every single sentence starts with, I think this card would be good in a control deck. <laughs> I know! This is where I am! I mean, pretty clearly that's going to be one of the pillars of the format. Like, in Rakdos' Return is, like, just one of the best things you could possibly do. And this so is has that really good setup card for it. That, that's that's what I was thinking. Like the two just work together so well. I mean, yeah, you're, you're not going to catch them with more than seven cards in their hand. But if you can cast this, then you're going to return for five minimum. Well, if you hit your land drop, or if you have more mana in play, it could be their whole hand. You could strip their hand. I mean, if this resolves, the implication is that your Rectus's return will, will also resolve. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it just it seems fantastic to me. It's it. it this is probably my favorite blue card in the set. And uh, the, the fact that you don't have to overload it is just a bonus. I'm I'm confused. What's the rules question that we all had that the answer is now? Because I'm just not figuring out what Matt, question yeah, we would have. That's one of them. <laughs> Pretty much everything that people have asked me, can I do this with overload? No. If you, you could, for example, Cyclonic Rift, yeah, you can put it on Isochron Scepter, but you can't overload it. You can't, like Mike said, give it flashback with Snapcaster Mage and cast it for its overload cost. If you reveal this with Epic Experiment, you cannot use the overload cost. Okay, I just, I wouldn't have tried to do any of those things, so I didn't realize that there was even a... Snapcaster Mage it? (laughs) No, well, I mean, I would Snapcaster Mage it to return one permanent I don't control to its owner's hands, but, you know, I I understand that that part of the rules I actually understand enough that I wouldn't have asked the question because I already know you're exactly what you're saying, so... Well, there was some other stuff that people asked me, too, but... Yeah, basically everything that people have asked me, no. Just no, you can't. Uh, Will, finish us off. I was going to go Rakdos' Return, but instead I'll go with uh, my favorite ridiculous card from the set, which is Azor's Elecutors. Ah, <laughs> yes. Which is... Love it. It's Azorius Hybrid Mana, so three and two hybrids. It's a 3-5. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a filibuster counter on the creature. Then if it has five or more filibuster counters on it, you win the game. Whenever a source, of damage, uh, whenever a source deals damage to you, remove a filibuster counter from Azor's Elocutors. How did I know? I don't remember seeing that one at all. That is hilarious. The best thing about this Spoiler. was how they spoiled it last night. I... I don't know who was b- driving the Wizards Magic account, but they just kept tweeting these procedural things, and people were interacting and trying to get around it to make them spoil the card sooner. And then when they finally spoiled it, and it just fit so perfectly with what they were doing. <laughs> All right, I have to give major kudos to whoever came up with that. Probably someone in brand. I'm going to give it to Elaine Chase, but it might not have been. But, I mean, I thought it was just absolutely genius marketing. And but this, it, this card's hilarious. It is. And, well, it finally makes sense with, like, the Azorius mechanic, right, of Detain, which is, yeah. like, say, I wouldn't say it's the weakest mechanic, but it's, you know, maybe in competition for it. And it's just like... Really? I love Detain. I think it's awesome. Yeah, the Sky Knight is really, really good. You can blink it. You can, but it's just like, it, like the the mechanic seemed like it was missing something. Like, there was just something that you know, they were, say, forecasting, and <laughs> you see what I did there? I see what you did uh, there. And, uh, like, this is, I think, that card. Like, I mean, it's 
just ridiculous as a card, but thematically it just fits in so well with the entire detain uh, mechanic. So sad that it's here right after Proliferate rotates out. Well, that's probably not an accident. <laughs> I'm sure it's not. <laughs> it just makes I'm, me sad. I'm sad that we're losing rights of flourishing because this in Turbo Fog, it just seems hilarious to me. But then again, Turbo Fog always seems hilarious to me. So, I mean, this is not a serious card, right? Like, this is not going to see tournament play. I'm sure someone will win with this card. I mean, I think it's about limited. It, I mean, think about it like in a situation where. Let's say you have like a like two decks that are just like dirtling doing nothing, right? Uh, and like I could totally see uh, bringing this card in against a deck that's like creature removal poor. Why not? But if you're playing against a green white, right? Like green white aggro. Yeah, probably don't want to play this card. Why not? Well, wouldn't green white aggro just attack you? Yeah, but if they can't kill it, like what if your deck can kill all their creatures? Or bounce all their creatures, and then, like, they can't kill your guy. So, to take a page out of what you were doing on the last top eight, true or false, Andrew Cunio will die to this card at least once because he has no way to kill it. Andrew Cunio will not. Andrew Cunio is a master of dirtle on dirtle. He's like, <laughs> there is no human being that you want to be sitting across less than Andrew Cunio if you plan to do nothing useful. Like, he, he will destroy you. But he so he's more likely to bring this in out of the board in the Dirtle matchup. Oh yeah, I mean like he, we had a chat on Twitter once about this. He's like, it's like uh, I like your do nothing deck. You'll never beat my do nothing deck, but I still like it. You know? <laughs> 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 really got to know what cards to bring in for the do nothing mirror matches. He's the first player I know who played Karn, I think, in in Blue White. He's got to be loving Sphinx's revelation then. Yeah, I mean he he's like the he's the inventor of Blue Suns in the standard. And White Sun Zenith, for that matter. Him and Tom Martell came up with that, didn't they? Uh, Kitty Cannon deck? I think a lot of people played... I think, like, Ali Atrazi played White Sun Zenith early on. I, I mean, I liked White Sun Zenith when I first saw it. It's just, like, hit the profile of a lot of do-nothing cards that, that I used to want to play. But, but Ali Atrazi's, like, my hero. <laughs> He's U.S. national champion, right? Yeah, the last one. He also played Drugs Call Reaver at a, a CG Open. So to become your hero, you just have to play some blue white cards and no one else will play. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, you just have to play crazy decks. Like he's he's played a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed. Uh, just reading his deck list and seeing how he approaches things. But then again, uh, the deck I've had the most success with, apart from black green birthing pot, is still your blue green poison deck. Back right before Zendikar rotated. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I enjoyed it. It just killed people really fast. All right, so that uh, brings us to the end of our spoiler cast, so to speak. Lots of exciting stuff to look forward to. There's cards that we didn't get to. I'm sure we'll be talking about them in coming weeks. Uh, but as we're coming close to ridiculous amount of time, let's move to everybody's favorite part and ask for a random moment of geekery. Travis, go! Um, my random moment of geekery is this is why I'm broke.com. If you've ever wanted to own a unicorn mask to scare the crap out of the neighborhood kids or an AK-47 with a chainsaw attachment for zombies, this is the website for you. <laughs> what? This is why I'm broke.com. It's a shopping site that has a collection of extremely unusual things, including a unicorn mask that is absolutely nightmare-inducing, 
and uh, an AK-47 that comes with a chainsaw attachment for zombies. This or you thing... can also get a, um, a gigantic nose to dispense shower gel, or you can actually buy a flying hovercraft for $190,000. There is literally a Space Invaders couch on this website. <laughs> I like the post-it note watch. There is a brass knuckles taser. I mean, why do you need to tase them if you're hitting them with brass knuckles? But, you know, overkill can be good. Win more. <laughs> Flying radio control shock. <laughs> you can get a life-size T-Rex sculpture for $32,000. <laughs> you see, when you put that in the show notes, I thought you were talking about what Adina had posted, the the T-shirt website, and you were doing it as a joke off that, like, this is why I'm broke. But no, there's actually a website called, oh, my God, this thing is amazing. Yes. (laughs) They actually have Sex Panther Cologne, too, which, you know, 90% of the time it works every time. Tron Motorcycle, $55,000. Sold. (laughs) Glow-in-the-dark toilet paper. You should not use that. <laughs> <laughs> FYI, don't use that. Yeah, I, that's he's, still he's that would be my con- conclusion there. Probably gigantic. That's water the next spot. thing to your Wikipedia page. Mike Flores uses glow in the dark toilet paper. Are you a big fan of rashes? Maybe <laughs> unmentionables, and, unmentionables infections. Just, yeah, sounds pretty horrid. Might not want to be rubbing extra chemicals down there. Oh, well, just in case you, you are okay with chemicals, they also have glow-in-the-dark underwear. That seems negative, Evie. Um, yeah. Adina, moment of geekery, please. Let's move on to my moment of geekery, sure. Uh, so last week I was talking about a couple of the different T-shirt shops that, um, you know, have one shirt per day, and it's usually some sort of geek-themed thing, and I'm constantly paranoid about missing them, and so I keep checking them. Well, there is a site called t-shirtroundup.com and it shows all the different t-shirts from all the different ones Um, you know Ripped Apparel, T-Fury, anything like that there's probably 10 or 15 different t-shirt stores and it just shows what they all are and it has links to them so uh, I found that's a a much easier way to keep track of all the cool t-shirts that are available only for today and gone forever after that unless you go to Redbubble and then they usually have the old ones on there by the artists yeah. themselves. Just in case, just in case you weren't broke enough already. Right. Yeah, I need more T-shirts. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Uh, well, moment of geekery. Borderlands Two came out, and it's sitting right next to me, and it's just telling me, wrap this up quick. <laughs> so your moment of geekery go. <laughs> I started playing League of Legends badly. Uh, I um, think the term is. God awfully. Uh, that was my second game. So, I mean, I'm not going to be expert at it, but uh, it seems enjoyable. My son taught me to play and then promptly smashed me. So, uh, Mike, do you have a moment of geekery you'd like to share? Yeah, I appeared on a Hoarder Notions podcast. <laughs> <laughs> really? I can't believe I missed Jeez. that one. You, is there a link to that in the show notes? Those guys are losers. Yeah, geeks, <laughs> actually. Geeks, man. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, I don't know, I downloaded this video game, uh, Avengers Initiative, and uh, it only has Hulk right now on my iPad, and uh, I, I realized, like, 
all these people who used to make fun of um, playing WoW and like leveling up their characters. Uh, it's a much less sophisticated game than WoW, but I think I played like 50 hours of it in like a two-day period, which is mathematically impossible. But my guy is next level. <laughs> he has lots of nice augments. Is that anything like the Facebook game? That it's, no, people keep- it's exactly the same as this game called Infinity Blade, but you're the Hulk. So then I downloaded Infinity Blade. Apparently, Brandon Sanderson uh, wrote a novelization of Infinity Blade as well. That guy is awesome. He's a stud. He follows me on Twitter. <laughs> just, that's not even humble brags. That's just brags. He followed Flores Facts first, not realizing it was like the fake version of me. Well, Mike Flores follows me on Twitter, so yeah. <laughs> that is true. Did I mention you know, I appeared on the Horror of Notions podcast? You did actually once. Yeah, I thought I think that's, uh, that that was your moment of geekery last time you were on here too. I have a better moment of geekery. Everyone buy the official Miser's guide. Go do it right now. <laughs> that's so funny. That's exactly what I was doing while you guys are rambling away. I just realized my credit cards across the room, and I'm going to have to wait till we're done with the cast. Oh no no <laughs> don't don't wait. Go run run. <laughs> credit cards are good. Maybe I have it memorized or written down somewhere. <laughs> Oh, my. All right, let's do some shout-outs. Will? As you guys probably heard from the beginning of the cast, uh, our cast is now sponsored by facefacegames.com, and they were so they were nice enough to agree to do that, and uh, so shout-out to those guys, especially Peter Sackclass, who I've been working with. That's it? Am I gone? Oh, oh okay. Travis, shout-out? Oh, um, of course, we do this right at the back on them while Brian, Brian is fried. If there's someone else, let them go ahead and go. Just say squirrels. Adina, shout out. Shout out to the Philadelphia Eagles for ruining Will's day and shout making up. mine. <laughs> and yet again, turning over the ball a million times and still managing to squeak out a victory. Uh, shout out to Martinet for hosting our website and shout out to Card Kitty for the, um, for the image that's on our website. And shout out to Josh Goldman, who I am going to visit for the Return to Ravnica pre-release. So I will be in California for that. So anybody that's going to be in the L.A. area, that's where I'll be. And that's it. I'm playing all five that my local star is playing. I'm playing all six, but we can save that for next cast. Borderlands is waiting. (laughs) Yeah, see, the problem is in Idaho, they don't do things on Sunday. So that's why I'm going to California where they do. Seems like a plan. Uh, Mike, anybody you want to uh, give a shout-out to? Yeah, shout-out to young Owen. Uh, congratulations on your win with the Mono Green Trading Post deck. Uh, <laughs> shout-out to anyone who imagines their lives and makes a reality. For example, the average customer of the Economizer's Guide. Very good. Uh, I actually only have a couple of shout-outs. Uh, only a couple? Shout out, yeah, shout-out to Face-to-Face Games for uh, for coming on board. And, uh, Mike, thanks for joining us. Always thanks for a pleasure. Having you guys. Anytime. Literally anytime. <laughs> uh, I might be like Medina and just, like, join your podcast. Like, hey, guys, I heard I can come on anytime. <laughs> Only thing is, you'd be entertaining. Oh, uh, not cool. Actually, I was going to say, you might be in competition with Brad Nelson, though. So we could, like, alternate you weeks, like, share and join custody. I was in the first uh, Trainwreck Tuesday, actually. I think I was the first feature in the first Trainwreck Tuesday. Did you see Chris's Trainwreck Tuesday? Yeah, I was on the second one. Yeah, I did not see that one. 
that was I beat him train wreck to the max. <laughs> with a pure steel paladin combo deck where on the turn I won I drew twenty seven cards and put Lab Maniac into play. So but did you I thought it was straights that you had to do. Yes, I had uh, a germ token at zero, flare husk at one, uh pure steel paladin at two, my three was lab maniac, and my four was clock of omens. <laughs> Yeah, just just giggle, just giggle, not a go. <laughs> I mean, that's just, that was the, that was the point of the of the no, of the show, all, though, You know, like I think Brad's trying to do something cool and interesting, and I think that that not enough people target you know a little bit different of a of a group there. And I think that it's cool that 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 people are emerging and and doing stuff that's different than you know what I've been doing for the past twenty years. <laughs> twenty years. It's pretty crazy. I started, uh, I mean, I started, I think I got paid writing the first time in 95. So, uh, yeah, no, not 95, that's impossible. I started, though, in like around 95, so 17 years now. That's that's a long time. There's plenty of people at my FNM who weren't even born when you started writing about magic. Imagine I did something more more productive with my time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's been pretty productive. I mean, you know, you've been on hold of notions twice. It's pretty much the pinnacle. Uh, yeah, I mean, I no regrets. I really, really love the magic and everything I've done. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I want to thank you for coming on. And like, on a personal note, you what you've done with magic and the, the parallels you've drawn have helped me tremendously. I've spoken several times about how much magic has helped me and what it's meant to me in, in dragging me out of some pretty rough times uh it's it's been the only thing that's constantly there and a lot of the stuff you've said and continue to say about magic and life has really helped me with my with my thinking patterns and made me realize that yeah maybe magic is what i put most of my time into but maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing that's awesome and yeah i i really need to thank you for that and please don't stop (laughs) so on that note uh let's wrap this baby up so from Travis, from Will, from Adina, from very special and always welcome guest Mike Flores, this is Chris saying join us again next time for another exciting episode of Horde of Notions. Thanks, guys.